Hey guys, it's Kendra. And this is Jessica. And you're listening to Lucid Lab. We're back for part two. Yep. We're going to get into more of the juicy details, you said. That's we what are. you promised. I did promise. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready. Although I feel like part one had a lot that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. So I'm still at the point where I don't know what to think right now. I came into this like most, I think, Americans that followed this story when it happened, thinking that Scott's definitely the guy. And now there's some there's some question in my mind based on the evidence that was presented in the first part. Yeah. And that's why I was naively approaching it as an easy case that I could have done. No one prepared me whatsoever. I chose this case because I needed something and I didn't know what to do. Yeah. And then I'm like, this will be good. Like, it's a big case, but we know who did it. Like, yeah, I can just do it. Open and shut. (laughs) But this is good. Yeah. We like when we come across stuff like this. And I think it happens on so many things that we choose. We think it's going to be one way. And there is always more under the surface with every single case. And it makes us question everything and, and think deeper. Yeah. And it's not about proving Scott's innocent. No. It's about proving that there was nothing to have convicted him. Right. Really. So we're going to kick off today by looking at Scott's character. We ended that way in the last episode. Okay. Remember, we went over all of the circumstantial physical evidence, and now we're going to jump back into it and talk about why Scott was America's most hated man. Yes. First, something we have to point out, Scott was not a violent or angry person. Yeah, you said that in the He never that. had any signs, right? Nothing. Not as a child. No injuries that we should know about that turns him into a serial killer. <laughs> no signs in Lacey and Scott's marriage that there was that kind of tension, yeah. like where they would be physical with each other. Right. Not according to anyone that knew him in the circle, outside of the circle, people who had just met him. If anything, the bad opinion was, wow, I know he's married. What a sleazy guy to be doing some other things. Yes. Having side chicks and whatnot. Another thing I think we have to keep in mind when it comes to Scott's character is how long the trial went on. It went on for five months. That is so long. And I know that most people, I might be assuming this, but know someone just like Scott. Okay. Like, I'm serious. I feel like we all do. Some guys are just serial cheaters. Yeah. Women can be too. But yes. there is something special about the ones who just can't handle having pregnant wives. I know. Especially the ones who want sex every day and act like straight up idiots because they aren't getting it. Right. <laughs> We've talked about this before and I'll argue that Scott is just a dude addicted to sex. Probably. And I have dated dudes just addicted to sex. So I know right. some of these behaviors Yes, some guys are amazing at taking care of their pregnant wives. I'm not saying this is all guys, but others, especially if they aren't getting any, they will find excitement elsewhere. Yes. Regardless of the consequences, because they're not thinking that way. They're thinking with their little brain. Yeah, it's gross and it sucks, but it happens all too often. But that doesn't mean they're going to turn around and murder their pregnant wife. Correct. And just because someone is a douchebag doesn't mean he's not decent otherwise. That's what's funny. You can look at one part of someone's humanness. Yes. And call it disgusting and call it all the names you want. But if otherwise he's decent with everyone else, it doesn't mean he's faking that part either. Right. It just means that it's kind of an addiction. It's just a very fine line. That's how I see it. And this is something we can talk about in relationships. There are women that stay with men that they know are cheating on them always, you know, because they're great guys in every other aspect of the relationship. That's true. 
So when it comes to this specifically, on one hand, he's either a psychopath or he's just very unlucky and receiving karma for his very shitty choices in life. Could be. People were suspicious of him from the get-go. We always consider the husband. We have to. But because Scott was so calm and didn't seem to show any emotion, with the massive media attention and news vans there to catch his every move, he really didn't have a chance. Yeah. He mentioned to family and friends about not wanting to cry or break down in front of others. Instead, he seemed emotionless, and those were the only photos that were sold to the media. Of course. They want to tell that story. Right. The family said he was constantly sad and scared and he really thought that it was best to keep his composure. Mm. I don't know. If you look at this guy, he does just seem to be that type of guy. Yeah. Just kind of serious and someone who isn't super outgoing unless you know him personally, maybe. A lot of guys are not very emotionally outward. Right. Are not outwardly emotional anyways, unless it's with someone that they're very close to. Like Mm -hmm. their wife or their partner sees a side of them that nobody else in the world does. Or just their buddies. Like they have a select group of buddies that they're really actually out there with. And if he, you know, it can be catch 22 because other cases where they show emotion and they cry then people will say oh they're faking it exactly so you're damned if you do damned if you don't Mm -hmm. in a lot of these situations right so he just came off reserved reserved to a point that he looked guilty no matter what he did yeah and we've argued that you can't know how someone is going to respond to something like this how their grief will present itself and if he's not guilty maybe he screamed in private we don't know Yes, he is doing all this other stuff, but that doesn't mean he didn't care for Lacey, didn't love Lacey, didn't love Connor, didn't love that. But men who cheat, sadly, can separate things in their mind, obviously. He's been been doing it for years. But he could have cried to family. He could have been staying awake at night, found things to distract himself with. We'll never know. But all of America had very specific pictures of him flooding through the media. It painted a picture that was then fueled by speculation, passed off as facts, only for most of it to be discredited. Right. Everyone's minds were made up, though. But forget his face for a moment, his Ben Affleck face. (laughs) It was also some of his actions blown out of proportion. Still, in some ways, that made everyone glued to the outcome, and he had to be the guy. Right. One huge one that just sent everyone off the edge that I also have an argument for that I hate arguing for was that Scott ordered porn while she was missing. Yeah, that's a big one. But you said he was a sex addict. And I mean, that's the assumption. It looks shitty, but also men use porn as a release. Exactly. When, Especially when they're stressed. I know. This is my argument. Like if you had a sex worker coming over or something that might be a different story but porn I mean that's an everyday part of most men's life I know unfortunately I fucking hate it but it is I know so he ordered three channels one like I guess you would call it normal porn and two sort of hardcore ones and everyone said right there he's guilty he knew she wasn't coming home otherwise why would he order the channels to come through the cable he ordered the TV channel that was back in the day but he ended up canceling too so just because he ordered doesn't mean you can't cancel he was just trying them out this was back in the day before you could find porn easily on computers I don't know I don't get it I don't know it was 2002 either he's just he did it he did something or he's just really stupid or he's doing what guys do I (laughs) when they don't have a woman around right but this was something that some jurors could not look past one person even said that this was like the biggest thing for them once again that makes him a sleazy person but that doesn't mean he murdered just because you order porn doesn't mean you're a murderer of your wife too many guys are addicted and think with their dick 
I'm not excusing him for any of it in any no, type of way. I hate never. porn and I will never be with someone who watches it. Porn has fucked up so many people. Men have completely unrealistic ideas of women because of it. And maybe that was part of his problem. Maybe that's why he wasn't content with True. just Lacey. You don't start watching porn when your wife goes missing. So this is something that he probably started at a really young age and it is an addiction. And maybe he hit it for a really long time. Maybe she confronted him at one point over it. Right. For all we know, maybe they're kinky and they watched it together. We don't know. We don't know. You can be very reserved on the outside and be very, very different in the bedroom. We have no idea. Right. But to me, for men, if your partner is not accepting of it, it's almost as if they have two sides. They can be completely engaged with you and genuine about it, but then go into the bathroom two minutes later and pull up porn. Yes. And I have personal experience of someone doing this during what I would argue was the most important day of their life and they still couldn't stay away from it really so they will wiggle a porn session in if it's an addiction for them it's true and i've dated it's almost like yeah they have a cloud of imagine one of those like little bubble clouds that pop up above someone's head they might be talking to you but there is a section of their brain that is thinking about sex yes at all times i've experienced that with men that i've dated in my past i found out and it was people you would never expect i know and i find Mm -hmm. out that they are full-on addicted to porn and i same thing i'm like i can't deal with this No, it's too much. So it's appalling. But again, for me, it's still not proof that he killed her. No. And it's still not proof that he was upset that she was gone either. No, because like I said, it's a coping mechanism. It's a vice like some of us drink wine. Some of us smoke weed. Porn can be seen as a vice for a lot of men specifically. Mm -hmm. So during the trial, he had many witnesses attest to his character, good and bad. But not that bad. Good came from family, friends, and friends of his family, understandably. Yeah. Both for the prosecution and the defense. There was not a single incriminating statement, though. Okay. Other than referring to this affair, which we're going to go into a little bit more. Those around him after Lacey's disappearance testified that he was very concerned. He did have tears, but that the media just ran with the photos and video of him not showing those emotions. Both his mother and he were described always as being very stoic. Okay. I remember listening to phone calls between Scott and his mother while he was in jail. Mm -hmm. You could hear the emotion in his voice on some of those. They actually had this discussion about how his emotions were coming off to others and how his reactions were thought of negatively. And he would talk about how he needs to be, though. He needs to not show this emotion. He needs to keep it together. It's like that's ingrained in him. From his family, from his mom. Yeah, it seems like they were both that way. He even stopped himself on the phone with her telling her that he can't be emotional in front of other inmates right now. That kind of makes sense. And telling her that it was okay if she wanted to have emotions on the phone, but that he couldn't react to her the way that he's actually feeling. So it's like he was just always aware of his perception to others. He was masking his emotions. But just like almost like men don't cry. Yeah. Like that was like how mm -hmm. it came off. Like I'm a man and that's not what I do. Not in front of the inmates. Not in front of other people at all. Yeah. Really. Maybe not even to himself. You have no idea. I think a lot of men struggle with that actually. Mm -hmm. I think so. But this whole hiding of emotions for him was a topic of discussion. Yeah. Between him and his family often I think. It just further explains the lack of affliction on his face. I'm only bringing this up because if there was one thing brought up more than anything else, it was his face not showing that he was sad. Yeah. 
There was one photo in particular that was published nationwide of him smiling at Lacey's candlelight vigil. Yeah, I remember that. The family explained that literal moments before that picture was taken, he was crouched down talking to his young niece. Mm. She was showing him something or he was helping her light a candle. I can't remember what it said, but he was smiling in response to her. And he had literally just stood back up with that smile on his face. And that's when they snapped the picture. Yeah, they were waiting for it. Yep, exactly. But that's what they use. Look, he's at her vigil. He's not even sad. He's sitting there laughing. You know what? Even when you're going through the darkest of times, you can smile. Yes, you can. And you can respond and laugh to something. Another family member has said to you, it's stupid, but anything and everything was taken out of context when it came to him. And the goal was just to make him look as guilty as possible. Yeah. But that doesn't make him innocent of being a scumbag in other ways. Mm-hmm. The most damning evidence presented at trial was his affair with Amber Fry. Yeah. After going on TV to speak about the affair, Amber took a lot of hits. She did not know that he was married. She was an innocent party in all of it, but that doesn't stop others from doing their best to tear her down as well as the other woman. I remember that. Comments were pretty mean, comparing her looks and intelligence to Lacey. I remember all that. Photos were leaked of her during... A time in her life where she took more scandalous pictures. Mm-hmm. She was constantly attacked by others. So her father thought that she should retain a lawyer. Similar to how Scott's family chose Garagos, Amber's father listened to how one woman talked about Amber on TV and saw that she was really the only one coming to her defense. To her defense. Yeah. yeah. This was Gloria Allred. I remember this name. Everybody knows her. (laughs) Very famous, high-profile attorney with a focus on protection of women's rights. Yep. Gloria did a good job of taking care of Amber, but having Allred now a part of this, it just increased media attention and made it look like, oh my God, Scott was having this massive scandalous affair. Right. When the reality was she was a single mom who got caught up with a married man and she didn't know it. Yep. And again, they had only been dating a few weeks before Lacey went missing. But once Amber became an informant, there were hours and hours of recorded phone calls between her and Scott, some of which was just not something the jurors were willing to look past, which included certain events. Her first day on the stand was August 10th, 2004. So she came in quite a bit later because the trial started in June. Yeah. Yeah. One of the events that shocked people was that while Lacey was at a Christmas party alone, Scott was with Amber at another Christmas party. He said he had some work thing with his boss and instead went with her. Yeah. And it is one of the famous few pictures that they took together. Okay. And you'll see like a picture of Lacey just sitting there like in a chair and then they're sitting in another chair and she's like on top of him and they're laughing. Right. December 31st is when Lacey's family held a candlelight vigil for her. There's another troubling recording. As I mentioned before, he told Amber that he was going on a trip to Europe for New Year's and kept up with that charade. How dumb is he? He's got to know that his girlfriend has seen it. He's all over the fucking news. She hasn't said anything yet. I don't know. Like, it's very strange. How can he not believe that she hasn't seen something? Yeah. He wants to believe that she still loves him or likes him or whatever. She doesn't love him yet, but he wants to believe that. So he does. I think also in a world where everybody knows who you are now and there's someone who doesn't know what happened yet, you're probably clinging on to that normalness. Yes. Well, anyway, this included Amber calling him while he was on his way to the vigil. Mm. This recording is a little unnerving. He had a lot of background noise going on, and he was talking about New Year's celebrations by the Eiffel Tower. He was acting very happy and busy, saying that he missed her. 
at the trial, they said that this call happened while he was at the vigil. And I read some saying that he left the vigil itself to talk to her for 70 minutes. That did not happen. Okay. They had a very long phone call the next day. Mm. I saw transcripts that just went on for miles. And it was the next day. I'm assuming that that was a 70 minute call that a lot of people were referring to. Okay. But while he was on the way to the vigil, you know, he said some things, but then he pretended that he had bad service and got off the phone with her. And a lot of their calls were like this during this entire time. He would just pretend that he had really bad service. And like I was listening to this one lady who read the transcripts and it was just annoying. It's like, Scott, Amber, Scott, Amber, I'm here. Amber, I'm here. Amber. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, my God, like these are the most annoying things (laughs) to listen to ever. It's sad to laugh at it, but it's like that's what a lot of their conversations amounted to. It's hard to see where this romantic situation was happening. Okay. Sometimes like he just sounds like a skis bag talking to this girl on the phone and she sounds like she's bored out of her mind or just like. Well, she's having to act at this point because I know, she, she does is- know. So maybe that's it. She's just a horrible actress. But then he wouldn't he catch on? He didn't seem to catch on with a lot of what he was saying to her. So no, because he wanted to believe that she was madly in love with him and he's probably a narcissist. Yeah. So narcissists don't <laughs> think like that. I don't know. So all of these calls were damning and a lot of them were hard to listen to. Mm -hmm. Um, But I read a lot of the transcripts, you know, there's the ones that are like that. But then the rest of them, I don't know, they just didn't seem like very interesting conversations to me for the most part. Just really like Scott was trying to keep up appearances with her in some way, talking about everyday stuff. It wasn't this like, oh, my God, I love you so much type of stuff. Yes, there were times he would say stuff over the phone, but that was questionable, too. Like he would tell her how beautiful she was. She was sexy. He would ask her what she's wearing, like what I imagine he's like, those types of things. In one recording, he said, you know, in my mind, we could be wonderful together for the rest of our lives. That's a very damning thing for him to say. But he was prompted to say that in a way because she was asking him to elaborate on what he wanted between the two of them. So that didn't come out of anywhere. She was telling him, I need words like I need you to say the words. And then he's going to gaslight her because, you know, he's not thinking about being with her forever. He's just wanting to keep his side chick or he wants to keep that going in case this all blows over. He can still have Maybe someone would stay with him type of thing. Yeah. But he didn't say it from his heart, like unprovoked. Right. And I have to throw this out there because it is a fact. Before Amber knew about Lacey on December 26th, so this is December 26th. Amber doesn't know right. that Lacey's missing. For all she knows, he lost his wife. Right. She called him 14 times. Not once, but 14 times. She claims that it was to thank him for a gift. But 14 times is insane. It makes you wonder about the true nature of their affair and how it was presented to everyone through the media. You could say that Amber was actually the one that was hooked and Scott just thought of her like as a good time. And possibly he continued conversations with her after Lacey because she was the only one that didn't know what the hell was going on. She was a distraction. And she was a distraction. He wanted, I don't know, needed to pretend that none of it was happening. So she called him 14 times and he never answered. She just kept calling him. She just kept calling him. I'm like, that's that's like almost that girls cr- don't do that. That's like crazy girl territory. I know. So when I heard that, I was like, um. 
um, that tells me there's not this dynamic in this relationship that's everyone's trying to say that like Scott was like head over heels for her and ready to end his marriage and kill his baby. That's what I was about to say. Do this, all this stuff. This isn't a man who was killing his wife to be with this woman if he's not answering the phone as soon as she calls. No. And then for her to call 14 times. They'd only seen each other in real life. Four times, Four right? Four times. Yeah, that seems so, excessive. I mean, yes, they like stayed the night with each other those times and stuff. But still, it's that's just sex. Let's yeah. name it what it right. is. That's They're just not people having yet. sex. Right. Okay? But it must have been more to her, maybe. She had a child. And I think when she started to involve her own daughter, it created tension between them. Because he has a baby on the way. The last thing he wants is someone else's kid. If Lacey hadn't died in the way that she did, he probably would not have continued with Amber after the baby was born, if I had to guess. Yeah. My guess is she was a good time and a distraction while his wife was pregnant. And he probably would have carried it on for a little while, but I don't think it would have been a long term. Because what's really crazy about these conversations that were recorded, most of the stuff that he says about like the future and stuff are in these recordings. It wasn't said before Lacey went missing. Yeah. The most intense conversation that they had had before Lacey went missing was him coming clean saying, Yeah, I was married and now I lost my wife. Yeah. But other than that, it was just. They'd only known each other a few weeks. Like, give me a break. It's not about that. I he think wasn't he, like, we're yeah. going to run away and get married. You're the love of my life. Right. That kind of stuff you would expect. It just seems like it was a dude that he probably wouldn't have kept it up that much longer. He didn't seem like he was in love with her to me. He seemed like he liked having an option outside of the marriage. Yep. He's just a dude that wanted to fuck around. And he he's one of those guys that probably could pull off multiple things at one time and make each girl feel just as special as the other yep. one. He's just a smooth talker. He love bombs everybody. And, yeah. You know, it's really easy for him to make a girl feel special. Mm -hmm. It's a whole other thing to have a have relationship. The genuine, mm -hmm. the genuine connection part which she probably had with Lacey that's why yes. he married her yeah. and then the other girls really were just whatever sex yeah and they fed his ego a lot of men cheat for their own ego yep but this changed everything because once they heard him on the phone with Amber knowing that Lacey's gone yeah that was it they knew he could lie. They knew he was really good at being a liar. Yeah. And it just made him look guilty as hell. Yeah. So I could see it. I get it. Because it makes you wonder what else he's lying about. Yep. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to say what those things could be, but it was just a huge hit to his character. And really, as we can see, the trial was about his character more than anything else in a lot of ways. Yeah. And it made him look like a creep. Even Scott's family was really disgusted by the conversations that they heard, but it doesn't prove that he killed her. Right. It just doesn't. So one day, Scott did confess to Amber on the phone that he was married and that she was alive, but she was missing. Oh, wow. He truly had no idea that she didn't know anything. <laughs> and I guess just thought that she was just too busy with life or something. Mm -hmm. She did say something to him that prompted him to come clean. She said something about a friend of hers telling her that, hey, I need to tell you something about Scott. Oh. And so she said that to him and it's like, well, what could that be? And that's yeah. when he told her he confessed that he hadn't been in Europe. You know, that was a lie and about his wife missing and that she was pregnant. And she's like, well, Scott, remember on the 9th, you told me that you lost your wife. Right. And hearing this particular conversation was just boom. You know, that was his fate in the juror's hands. Oh. Premeditated murder. Okay. He's talking about his wife being gone. And when Amber brought that up to him, you know, you told me you lost your wife. Mm -hmm. His response to that was, there are different kinds of loss, Amber. Oh, my God. So he became very vague, like with his yeah. answers. But he was always vague from the get go. 
Yeah, like, because he's fucking around and yeah. that's what you got to do to play the game. He was fucking around with her with all of the things he was saying before, too. Yeah. Saying I lost my wife makes it, like I said before, that implies what he wants it to imply. Right. And then gets him sympathy. So the woman wants to sleep with him and forgives him. And now yeah. he can not look like a liar because that friend confronted him. Yes. So, you know, when she asked, well, why didn't you tell me this? Like, yeah. how could you still be talking to me type of stuff? He said, well, he didn't want her pulled into anything. And he was worried that if the world knew about her, Amber, that they would stop looking for Lacey and Connor. And oh. like all the attention would go to that affair. Yeah. He told Amber as well as the cops and later on TV that Lacey was aware of the affair, like I mentioned, and in so many words was OK with it. Which, you know, I don't know. We don't know, Lacey. We don't know their marriage. We don't. I think and that's I, just as far as we yeah. can go with that one. I said it before. Women stay with men that they know are cheating. Yep. And even if he didn't, like, tell her, it seemed like Lacey was very smart. So I wouldn't be surprised if she was able to deduce that he was cheating on her and she yep. confronted him about it. Yeah. But he doubled down that Lacey did know. Okay. And even with this, he said their marriage was great. So... There's a lot of weird dynamics in they marriages. Could be, they and could be swingers. No they could have been swingers for all we know. There is one thing out there. No one can confirm that Lacey herself had an affair with her gym teacher. It's just been said. It can be complete Bullshit, utter BS that was brought up. But if they're both kind of seeking elsewhere, maybe it's just. It's a mutual agreement. You, we don't know. We they're have not no gonna idea. Tell us. And no. Lacey's not here to tell us. Exactly. What. So all we have is Scott. And Scott's a, he's a liar. Yeah. So we so can't trust. Can't really trust what he says, mm -hmm. but we can understand these options here. And because I've known several people like Scott, multiple affairs while married, married yeah. with babies, married with children, married with their pregnant wives. They were serial cheaters. And even if their wives knew about a portion of their infidelity, they would stay with them. Yep. A couple of them did eventually split, but that took in some cases years, like especially in cases where the men paid all the bills. Yep. Because what were they going to do? They had kids and no income. And the men would say, it's the last time, baby. I'll never yeah. do it again. And they would say exactly what Scott did, that they still had wonderful marriages. Yep. And they believed it. The men believed their own bullshit. And the first thing these women are going to do was not to go to friends and their family and admit that their husband was a cheater. Because no, what are they going to do? It's embarrassing. And they're going to tell you to leave. And you yes. don't know if you really want to leave just like that. It's stuff to think through. It's complicated. And then if you tell them and they say you should leave him, he's a loser, and you don't leave him. Then it's your fault. Then your you family stay. looks at you like you're, yeah. And then the next time or whatever. Yeah. And then the next time you have a problem, they're not going to care because they don't want to help. Yep. Most women do not tell others about the crap that they have to deal with in a marriage. I mean, look at what happened to Hillary Clinton when Bill Clinton was found cheating with Monica Lewinsky mm -hmm. and she stayed with him. Right. People still fucking bring that up to yep. her. Like it never goes away. I'm not a fan of I'm any not, of I'm them, not. but she's done a million things to be her own person outside of Bill. Yep. And it's still not enough because he still cheated on her with Lewinsky. And she stayed. Because if you bring it up to other people, it puts your character into question and your husband's character. And you're trying to decide, do I defend him or do I not defend him? So you're yep. not sure if you want to go through all of that yet. There's a lot of reasons why people don't tell other people. So when family and friends come forward and said, Lacey never said that. Not surprising. That does not mean anything to me. Me neither. Not to mention that they had a baby about to show up. Yep. That's a big, big part of a relationship. And they had built everything up to that right. point. So 
she could have found out and maybe he was trying to break it off but maybe because he liked the sex with amber or whatever was going on there he wanted to secretly still drag her along yes. in some way. Yeah, he wanted that option. And maybe Lacey just needed time. Like she's like, I'm eight months pregnant. How am I going to figure this out right now? Just we'll, we'll talk about it later after yeah. the baby's born. I got to get it doesn't matter. This. I can be in the same house with you and not have to think of you that way or deal with you in that way. I have a baby coming like right. I can be distracted. We got priorities. And some of us have done that. Yep. We've lived in the house with the man we left or the person we left that we're not with anymore. And then we stay for the children and it's. Yep. Or just, for financial reasons. Or for a lot of its finances. And, you know, that's just it. Yep. You're not together. You're in the same household, but you're not like that. People just do it. Kids change things. Yep. And there was a recorded call between Scott and I think one of his sisters while he was in jail. She was asking about his infidelities, Mm -hmm. asking why. Yeah. He said, you know, that he was weak and he was vain. No, that's honest. It wasn't about not loving Lacey. He said he loved her, but that he was weak. Sex was his weakness. Okay. And outside of people finding out that he was a cheater, he knows that it compromised the search for her. And that was something that he had to live with. Okay. He truly believed that if his affair came out, it would run. It would have ruined their chances of finding her because everyone would be so focused on that because he was already top news. Right. But it was after this conversation when he confessed to Amber that the relationship was somehow leaked to none other than the National Enquirer. So that's what I mentioned when Mm -hmm. they finally told Lacey's family about this and it gave them no choice but to tell them because they didn't want to find out that way. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, National Enquirer is kind of a seedy magazine, too. So they told them and they told them that they had started to record their calls. Okay. And it was after seeing these photos of them together that they really were just like, wow, you know, fuck Scott. Yeah. He had to have done it. He had to have something to do with her disappearance. Which would be easy to jump to if that was like my child's husband. I'd be like, yeah, you're a scumbag. You probably did do this to my child. What's the coincidence here, you know? But Scott was right. After Amber came forward on TV about their relationship, they stopped looking. Oh, and they just assumed. Yeah. And it was found out shortly after that he had had previous affairs as well. Oh, so I'm it sure. wasn't his first. Mm-hmm. I think his first started back in college. While he was with While Lacey. While he was dating Lacey. Yeah. So. And even one of them, I don't have a name, came forward and said that she didn't realize that she was the other woman because she walked in on Scott. She was like there to surprise him or something. And Scott was in bed with Lacey. So that right there tells me Lacey kind of knew Knew. that he was kind of a bachelor dude. A lot of women will still marry men knowing this. Yeah. Even if they haven't cheated on. Thinking marriage will change them. Yeah, exactly. Like, well, I'm the one. So I stopped that behavior. Yep. We always think we can change something about someone. Yeah. But we get older and realize, no. They think the same, too. They're like, oh, she doesn't want to be this right now. Well, we'll see what happens. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. Or like people who get married to someone who says they don't want to have kids. I've yes. seen that too. Yes. Men marry women and the woman's like, I don't want to have kids. And they think, oh, once we get married, she will. Or vice versa. Or the other way yeah. around. Yep. Yep. I know someone very personal that went through that and she agreed. But that changes because you start to grow up and you start to think, oh, well, I do want kids. And I know this person to have always wanted kids. So I was like, why did you agree to that? Yeah. And then it becomes this moment of tension in your relationship. So when people say that he didn't really want a child and all of this because of his bachelor life, I'm like, he probably wanted it all. Yes. 
it wasn't one or the other. He probably did want that child still. And he probably still wanted to fuck around. And he still wanted to be married, too. And he still wanted to be married. A lot of men want to stay married while doing this. Yeah. And that's why they never leave. You know, the mistresses are always wanting the man to go leave with them. They're not going to leave their wife. They like mm-hmm. that part of their life. Right. They that's compartmentalize. the stability. Mm-hmm. And the other person's the fun. Yep. Throughout a lot of the recordings after Scott knew that Amber knew... He still didn't know he was being recorded, though. Okay. So they were still talking. She was constantly pressuring him to confess one way or another, and he never did. Even when asked point blank, she would try and say stuff like, aren't you worried I'm going to go to the police, even though she already had. Right. (laughs) He told her if she wanted to go to the police, do it. Do it. He said he had nothing to hide. Their conversations became this sort of discussion of everything that was going on and he would constantly say that he needed to find Lacey. Mm -hmm. He didn't know about the recording so he continued to take her calls and call her but he never once incriminated himself in anything having to do with Lacey's disappearance and when she went on the news he actually told Amber that he was proud of her and that she did the right thing because it showed her character. So it's okay to me it's all weird manipulation kind of gaslighting stuff. Uh, I don't it's just all very strange but it's still like that's who he is he's been doing doing that it sounds like for years and years but what also didn't help him was the photos displayed of Lacey and Connor during the trial the state that they were found in it was very emotional for everyone of course some jurors claimed that Scott was emotionless during this even then and wouldn't even look at the photos and they took that as like a huge sign they were further away from him though and partially if not fully blocked from actually seeing him so not all the jurors saw him just because of the way the courthouse was set up. Mm-hmm. Those that were closer to him in the courthouse could see him with his head down and he was gulping the entire time. Journalists in the courtroom attested to this. One journalist for the Modesto Bee, Garth Stapley, said that he was overcome at the sight of his family and yeah. the condition of their bodies in decomposition. Yeah, that'd be hard to see. They always reported that he showed no emotion, but he did, and it was just not well reported. Yeah, because that doesn't fit the narrative. Exactly. And like you said before, even when he did cry, it was fun to, oh, he's faking it. See, you can't, yeah, you can't win. Nope. Emotion, no emotion, didn't matter. But Scott's affairs and the photos of Lacey and Connor, all of this made it almost easy to forget about what the defense did to prove the prosecution wrong every step of the way. Yeah. And that was clear when it came to most of the jurors. So now it just, it moved from actual credible evidence to a character assassination of Scott. Absolutely. So let's talk about these jurors, because I believe that the verdict would have been different if there weren't so many issues with these jurors. Yeah. First, we already knew that picking a jury was going to be really difficult. Yep. The story was everywhere. People had opinions. It was a bit of a mess. The jurors were not a team. They were following their emotions, not their intellect. I honestly think that it would have been impossible for Scott to get a fair trial in any court of law at any point during this time. Right. Just walking in and out of the courthouse, there were mobs of people outside with posters and shirts showing Scott with a noose around his neck, screaming he's a murderer. The jurors themselves were on trial for what they ended up deciding in that courtroom. True. During the trial, one of the jurors was dismissed. This was Justin Falconer. The issue here is that the courtroom chosen had all people going through the same door in security. Okay. Meaning Lacey's family, Scott's family, the defense, the prosecution, the jurors, media. They all had to go through the same door every morning. No one should be talking, but it was really awkward for everyone. The jurors asked if they could at least acknowledge the families. Mm -hmm. This particular juror was recorded talking to Lacey's brother, Brent. Okay. 
He said something really simple. It was nothing about the case. He's like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> but he was videotaped doing this. And they claim that's not why he was removed. But you never know if that's one of the things. Right. What jurors were not supposed to do was to talk to each other about the case. Well, that wasn't managed very well because during breaks, jurors would go on lunch together. Oh, and yeah, they're going to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, some things were let out. This juror was overheard discussing an opinion about one of the witnesses in the hallway of the courthouse. One of the other jurors, John Guinasso, told on him. And after the judge questioned the jurors, he was dismissed from the trial. So okay. Justin was dismissed. This was on June 23rd, 2004. So this is before Amber, okay. actually. The remaining jurors were warned not to read, watch, listen to media, or discuss coverage of the trial again. This juror was immediately freed to talk to the media, however, and he had a lot to say. Oh, God. He wanted his 15 seconds of fame. You can argue that, but it was very interesting to see what he had to say. He said that if he were to decide on a verdict based on everything that he had heard so far, he would vote not guilty. This was before Amber and character assassination. Correct. Yep. He thought the prosecution had done a shit job. Yep. He felt that they weren't being truthful, intentionally lying about things. He said every witness for the prosecution so far was better as a witness for the defense and that absolutely nothing so far showed him that Scott was guilty. Okay. He also said that some of the jurors were determined to find Scott guilty regardless of everything. Ugh. Everything they put forward was immediately shot down by the defense. Detectives were caught in lies, falsifying things, or leaving out important testimonies from witnesses. The defense was convincing, showing that the police botched the investigation from the start. For instance, Detective Dodge, Hindi, over the course of four days on the stand, admitted that they found absolutely nothing to incriminate Scott Peterson as the murderer, despite an exhaustive search. One of the lead detectives, Brocchini, again, who we've mentioned, yep. he presumed Scott guilty from the very beginning without a shred of evidence, and the defense proved this on the stand. He was extremely biased, and this was despite Scott's cooperation. He was very cooperative from the beginning, but that didn't matter. The defense made it clear that the police did not focus on anyone else despite having other leads come in, yep. essentially admitting that, well, if we got a lead that didn't point to Scott, it was dismissed. Because they were just so tunnel visioned. They were. That's dangerous. Yep. People have brought up that Scott was not cooperative and they didn't let the police in for their search warrant. Okay. Or to search the home. He let it happen at first, but they wanted to come back and do a more thorough. And mm -hmm. at that point, his dad's like, no, you need a lawyer. Okay. And so they look at that, that Scott didn't let him in. I'm like, no. They'd already been there. And he's like, no, they're coming back to try and find something specifically. And he was still going to let them in that day. He's just like, I need approval from my lawyer. And he's not calling me back. Okay. And so that's when they presented the search warrant and did it anyway. Mm -hmm. And they still didn't find shit. And they still didn't find shit. For him to have killed his wife in the home, like they said, there, there has there to, be, had to something. be something. It doesn't have to be blood. Right. But there's something else. Yeah. And so what mm -hmm. did they ever present what the motive was? Just that he didn't want to be. A, yeah. It was just that he was a cheater, didn't want to be a dad, didn't want to be married and was having money troubles. Yeah, so a pretty weak motive still. It's like grabbing all of the motives. Yeah. Throwing it in the bucket and being like, he's all the things. So that's why. And the only he did it. specific proof they have that even closely resembles that is the fact he was having an affair. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Brocchini even testified on the stand, and these are his words, that he was planting seeds of suspicion. Why would he say that on the stand? <laughs> because he's stupid. Not surprisingly, Brocchini was known as the guy who could find evidence, even if there wasn't any. 
Well, he didn't do oh, a good job. That's in this real case. convenient. Yeah. He's the finder. <laughs> he falsified his police reports, leaving out things that would have helped Scott, including lying in his reports that Lacey did not know that Scott had a fishing boat, which we've already covered. He owned up to his lies on this on the stand. He was the one who interviewed and took the report from that warehouse owner that let Lacey use the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Just one of the many things Brocchini did to steer the investigation in one way towards Scott being the killer. You know, it's you can't do that. You can't do that. How is this guy still have a job? Because they like guys who do this because they, but the, the defense was good. They're like, hey, um, this probably isn't right. No, this is definitely not right. It's because they did their homework. And they're yeah. like, you left this out. They went and interviewed everyone that the cops interviewed and right. then some. Before the trial, there were many leaks to the media about things that were found in the house mm-hmm. that made it look like Scott murdered her there. And one of those leaks was finding the mop bucket okay. and bleach. Okay. The media started talking about how Scott tried cleaning everything up with bleach and it stunk of bleach and that she was killed in the kitchen. There were also rumors about vomit near the backyard pool that had been cleaned up. But absolutely none of that was true. Yes, there was a bucket. We already covered that. There was no bleach. There was no smell of bleach. Even the cops corroborated that. Yeah, because that's a huge red flag if you walk into a place and it smells like bleach. Exactly. And he's like, my wife's missing. They would have probably... She cleaned the floor with bleach everywhere. Yeah, they would have marked that down in a report if it smelled strongly of bleach. But that's the thing. The media is like, oh, there's bleach. Cool, we're going to talk about that. Oh, that didn't happen at all? Doesn't matter. But it's already out there. Doesn't matter. Yep. We already said it. So I'm only mentioning that because now come back to the media with Justin Falconer talking and he's doing the opposite. He's contradicting everything. And he's saying, yeah, you guys talked about that. That didn't happen. That's not it. Yeah. Yeah. You guys talked about that. That didn't happen. You Mm -hmm. talked about this and this and this. That's not the truth. Wow. And then the media killed him. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) They're like, we don't like this guy. I mean, in a way, he ended up having to truly defend himself. He ended up being labeled as a defense juror. Oh. And he said, no, he was defending the process. Nothing proved that Scott did it. Yep. And he said, I felt like I was one of the only ones there to actually give a fair trial because it was my literal job as a juror. He understood the seriousness of the case. So who got him being asked to put a man to death? Who got him kicked off? Was it the prosecution that had him removed? No, it was one of the other jurors. Oh. And we're going to talk about him several times. Maybe he was being paid off by the prosecution. Maybe. I almost argue it's just a dude that wanted attention as well. Yeah, they all do. So Justin even confronted Nancy Grace about her lying. (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) And that everything she was reporting was inaccurate. Yeah. She tried to roast him and he ended up roasting her. I love it. I she said this. something like, how long were you on the jury, Justin? And he immediately said to her, a lot longer than you were, Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> love it. It was funny. Nothing she could say back to that. But sadly, over time, because he was just being honest that nothing presented so far led to a guilty charge, he started to receive death threats. They didn't want to hear it. Death threats. That's fucked. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Someone even showed up at his house and destroyed his car. It was insane. He was constantly harassed. This got back to the other jurors and several of them agreed that it was a big moment because people wanted Scott prosecuted and didn't like that there was a possibility he might get off. So they're seeing what they might have to deal with if they were to vote the other way. Yeah. And they're like, okay, well, I know what I'm going to say. Yeah. That's they don't want to deal with drama in their own life. They're just there doing a job. Right. But at the time, the trial was going good and so much so that Scott and his family, they thought he was going to be let go. Like that's how convinced they were that the defense was doing a good job for him. 
Okay. Most of his team did think that, or at least in the end, it might be a hung jury. Right. But it just goes to prove that what the media puts out there for everyone, it's all for ratings. It doesn't matter. That's why I hate the news. Like, I don't watch the news. I get my information elsewhere. Yeah. Because it has nothing to do with what was actually happening inside that courtroom. Or you have to get your information from multiple sources. And between all of those, the truth will be there, maybe. And there were people like from the media in that courtroom reporting, but nobody they're not retracting anything that had been said previously. And they can't speak to every single lie that's been told on the media for the two years up to that point. Yeah, they can't remember the fact that it's been two years before the trial even happened. It's like, well, not two years. I kind of exaggerated there. It would have been a year and a half. Yeah, more to a year and a half. But yeah, a lot had been out there in those 18 months. Right. Tons. Mm hmm. So there's more to be said about these jurors, but first, a little bit on the closing arguments before they are set off to deliberate. The prosecution, unlike the rest of the five months they had to have big moments, showed up that day. Oh, okay. They performed and they gave an amazing emotional closing argument. And Garagos, for the defense, had a bad day. Oh, shit. He did not show up that day. He was amazing the entire time, shooting down everything brought up. But that day, he just, he didn't do a good job. He didn't get asleep the night before. Probably not. The jurors were sent to deliberate on November 3rd, 2004, and it was expected to take a long time. Yep. They took an initial vote, and it was not unanimous, so they had to start from the beginning. At first, some and interviews later said that they were not ready to vote, and if they had to, like, it would be not guilty. Yeah. Just right off the bat, because they weren't ready. While others were hell-bent on choosing guilty. I mean, they've been waiting since day one. Yeah. One man, Gregory Jackson, he was named jury foreman. He was also a doctor and a lawyer. Okay. They chose him because they felt like he was the most intelligent person in the room. Yep. And he had been taking a ridiculous amount of notes and they just thought, okay, he'll logically go through the information and we'll do everything right. And he was ready to do everything right. He got everyone to work together to start working through every part of the case. And if they got through every single point, then he felt like we would come to an actual agreement here. Well, on day five, another juror was dismissed. It was found that she had been conducting her own research. Mm. Not a lot. She just said that she claimed that she was unclear about something and she wanted to remember. So she looked it up. Okay. Told somebody, got title tailed on, and she was removed. She was leaning towards not guilty as well. Uh (laughs) Something to keep in mind. She was replaced by someone very controversial, a woman. Her name was Rochelle Neese. She was a single mother with four children in her late 20s and very, very vocal about thinking that Scott was guilty. Okay. She was so upfront and loud and immediately started saying, what are we waiting for? He's guilty. Let's go. Mm, and kind of derailed people were like um whoa (laughs) that's not how this works Mm -hmm. so they had to restart their deliberations well the jury foreman jackson he became an issue for some of the other jurors they just didn't have the patience for how thorough yeah and methodical he was being about it his way of going through evidence was taking too long even though some said it felt necessary to have someone like that running it it's the death penalty i know But those who didn't like his ways started to speak up, even yelling at him. He was bullied for his approach. And some, those who thought Scott was guilty, started to complain, saying that they needed a new foreman. Okay. To them, it was clear that Jackson was leaning towards Scott being innocent, but he was pro-innocent till proven guilty. Yep. I think that says a lot, though. The more educated of the bunch, the one trying to go through absolutely everything in the case and not rush it, logically came to the conclusion that Scott was innocent. Yes. 
He needed just as much convincing through discussion that Scott was guilty as those that already decided he was guilty that might be convinced that he was innocent. So it was a collective necessary thing that needed to happen to walk through everything. And people didn't want to do it. While Jackson was actually physically threatened by another juror, the same one who tattletailed on Justin, John Guinasso, and even one of the other jurors, a lady named Julie, she said that John was very mean okay. and was pushy. And he was very insistent that Scott was guilty and he was impatient that they hadn't come to a He's ready to go home. Verdict yet. Yeah. So he bullied too much and the bullying became too much that Jackson requested to have himself removed. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. This was day six. John was allowed to stay, though. (laughs) (laughs) Just something to keep in mind. It was unfortunate. So we got three jurors that have been dismissed and all of them were leaning not guilty. Yes. Mm -hmm. It was really starting to seem like they were just taking people out that were leaning that way or bullied into it. They're like, we're going to get to a guilty even if there's only two jurors left. (laughs) (laughs) One journalist called it a palace rebellion. Yeah. Jurors today said that if Jackson didn't crumble with the bullying, it would have been a hung jury. Yeah. So yet another alternate juror was brought on Thursday afternoon on November 11th and a new foreman was chosen. People thought it was going to take at least a few days again. So some went home, including Garagos. He went back to L.A. Okay. They thought they had the weekend. And they didn't. So now it's Friday, the 12th. I was like 20 minutes later, they came out. (laughs) And because of the change in jurors, everyone assumed that they would have to. Right, exactly. But once all those who wanted to go through all of the evidence in the correct way were gone. They all just went for it. Boom. The jurors were done. Remember that that juror was Thursday afternoon. Now, Friday morning, they had a verdict. They're ready. I find it really fucked up. I think the other juror should have to go back through. Yes. I can't believe they, they came, let that go. Yeah. I think that there should be a time limit if you're placing a new juror, yes. especially in a case that lasted five, five months, months. There must be some kind of time limit on this stuff. So that other juror came in ready to go guilty and everybody else is like, we're sick of being in this room. Let's just do it. Yeah. That's what I think happens yeah. in some of these is they're just tired and they're ready to go home. Right. Yep. So it was announced at 11 a.m. on Friday that they reached a verdict and that at 1.30 p.m. it would be announced Okay. So everyone was scurrying back into position and Scott's lawyer could not make it because of where he was. Mm. Everyone was really nervous. Scott and his family really did think that he was going to walk out that day. Okay. Or it be a hung jury. Right. They did not think he was going to be seen as guilty. And they were so convinced of this that having lunch right before going into the courtroom, they were talking about how do we get him out of here? How is it going to be safe? Because there's a mob outside. Yeah. And if he's not guilty, they want to kill him. (laughs) Right. But on November 12, 2004, the jury convicted Scott of first-degree murder with special circumstances for killing Lacey and second-degree murder for killing Connor. Okay. The moment the verdict was read, there was an uproar outside of people cheering. And what I found absolutely disgusting was that Scott's family was made to walk outside along this long sidewalk in front of everyone. And the things that they were yelling at them was just not necessary. I felt so bad for them. I mean, your son is just convicted and everybody wants him dead and you have to walk past that. Yeah, that would suck. And like I said, both Lacey and Scott's families, they just all seem like sweet, loving people who love their kids. Right. And now they both lost their kids. It's all really unfortunate. It's a no win for either side. I know that Lacey's family in the end believed that Scott was the one who did it and his sentencing gave them comfort and I'm grateful for those moments for them. But if he didn't do it, then it's horrible for everyone involved. 
because Scott's family experienced so much hate and they still do. Yeah. And their fight today has been really ridiculed. Like, why don't they just give up everything that comes out about Scott that is in favor of, you know, getting him out, proving that he's not guilty. They're just like, oh, that Scott's family. He's just they're doing that. Uh, Like, it's just sick behavior. Because what if it was you? What if it was one of your was family your members and you didn't do it and or they know, didn't do it? Yeah. No. Can you blame them? Yeah. And you know, deep in your heart that they didn't do it. Yeah. So now we had to wait for the sentence. Was it going to be life in prison without the possibility of parole or the death sentence? Well, there was a little over a two week break between the verdict and the sentence and the same jurors were supposed to decide the sentence with the judge's approval. Okay. During those two plus weeks. What did they see? An uproar of kill him, roast him, burn him at the stake. Exactly. Yeah. They were so happy that they voted him guilty. Right. So they knew that people expected a death penalty. Exactly. Well, during this waiting period, John Guanasso, the juror, the bully dude, the bully dude. He decided to go to a bar, get drunk, and talk about the case and was spewing stuff about we're going to get Scott now. Stuff like that. Supposedly, there were a couple other jurors there, too. I didn't get the names for them. They decided already before the sentencing hearing that they were going to choose death, which is such a crazy thing to me. Who sits around at a bar and is like, yeah, I'm going to make sure this guy dies. Like you're deciding someone's death. Like this John guy to me seems like he didn't really have a life before. And now he worked nights. He was kind of a nobody. And now he's involved in this. Now he's getting media press. He kind of felt popular. He has purpose. Yeah. (laughs) That's how it came off. Yeah. He got too much power. Yep. He felt a little bit too powerful. It was kind of gross to watch. Mm -hmm. So anyway, this bar, well, the bartender, overheard all of this and one of the attorneys that was her bar that was oh. where she went okay and the bartender told her about this and said hey you know these guys were in here saying Bragging. all this stuff yeah and it was her obligation to go tell the judge so she went to the judge told him and there was a hearing for this and the bartender was subpoenaed well the bartender pleaded the fifth brought a lawyer so there was nothing to prove and once again john got to stay on the jury This guy was the most gung-ho out of all of them for Scott being guilty. And it seems like he just gets to do whatever he wants. Others were let go for tiny things. Yes. For, hey, I think they did this or, hey, this. And here's an actual attorney going to the judge saying, this guy did this. this, And he still gets to stay. Make that make sense to me. I can't. And this guy was the most persuasive, I guess, of all of them. Or he's probably just the most loud, obnoxious. I'm just like picturing loud loud and obnoxious. obnoxious. Yeah. And he was rude. Yeah. It should have been enough, just the allegation of what he did, because that's what happened with the other people, because you can't prove that they did what they did either. Yeah, exactly. That they talked about something. They didn't even get a hearing. They didn't even get a hearing. They were just like, They got to talk to the judge. Yeah. So the penalty phase of the trial began on November 30th. During this time, Lacey's mother took the stand and Sharon's testimony was powerful and her emotions were really, really raw Yeah, and loud. You know, she had everyone crying and she really made an impact on the jurors. Everyone, everyone in the courtroom. Yeah. So on December 13th, 2004, the jury chose death. Mm-hmm. On March 16th, Judge DeLuke followed the jury verdict, sentencing Scott to death by lethal injection and ordering him to pay $10,000 towards Lacey's funeral. Okay. So I know it seems like 
so far, I'm maybe even both of us are pro Scott. We're not pro Scott. No, like, I'm I, not I feel pro like Scott. I just have to throw this in there every now and then. No, I'm not. I am pro justice and hearing all of the evidence. Mm-hmm. And right now, the case that they presented, not knowing anything else that I knew from outside, there is not a case there for a man to go to death, no exactly. matter who it was. If right. it was Scott or if it was Joe or if it was John, none of this information says that person killed Lacey. There's nothing connecting. I know. And I'm sorry, but the death penalty based on all of this, wow, fucked up. it doesn't make any sense. And yet Scott was sentenced because he wasn't likable. They sentenced him because they didn't like that he was cheating on his pregnant wife. And there are people who have killed multiple people, like serial killers who have never gotten the death penalty. Like this kind of stuff. I know. That's is what's so, so crazy to me. It just infuriates me about our justice system. And it's all because the jurors were taking pressure from outside. Yep. From everywhere. Yep. And they were crying because, you know, Lacey's mom got up there and gave a heartfelt, which I get. I would be that way, too, if my daughter had been murdered yep. and my little grandbaby. She's just speaking from the heart. But it's I don't still know. It's, does, just it's just too, it's too much. Like there's not enough hardcore evidence to say this man should die. I know. I'm and I again, I'm not saying he didn't do it. Exactly. But in everything presented, how then? Tell me how. They didn't, I don't see it. Yes. Nothing he could adds still up. Be, he could still be guilty, but they did a really shitty job at trying to prove this. And in any other case in the world, if there would have been no media attention, that person would not have gone to jail, probably. And they definitely, oh, 100%. Wanted, definitely wanted to have gotten the death penalty. So what I found even more disgusting after this was the behavior of the jurors after sentencing death. They gave interviews and the one girl, Rochelle, who they had nicknamed Strawberry Shortcake because she had dyed red hair and she dressed uniquely. She was the one that was ready to fry him as As soon as as she came on as the alternate juror. On TV, she's like sitting there like, Scott, asshole. Like she's saying this on public television. I don't know. You would have to see it. But it was disgusting behavior. Like you don't act like that. You should be conflicted that you're putting someone to death. Even if you voted for it as a human being, making the decision should humble you. And the way she was acting, it was like her baby daddy was being sentenced. Not good. This is why. Yeah. Yeah. We shouldn't just pick people off the street and put them as jurors because some are going to be classier than others. (laughs) And then one juror was interviewed on Larry King, Steve Carosi. Larry asked him, how do you think this crime was committed? What happened? The juror said, can you be a little bit more specific if possible? Larry said, no, you were the jury. You're the one that listened and said. (laughs) You should be specific. How did he do what the judge said he did? What did he do? And his answer was, well, um, at some point he decided he wanted to kill his wife. So he put her in a boat and dumped her body in the bay. Okay, but how did he kill her first, dude? You were in there for five months. With every fucking detail. you still can't say, how did he do it? Right. He made some joke after that was like, well... I guess really only the dog and cat would have known, but they can't speak. You just sentenced this man to death. (laughs) I know. You just said this guy should die and fry and you don't even know how he did it. You don't know how he pulled it off. And anyone getting the death penalty, you should know like step by step with all of the evidence showing Mm -hmm. that they fucking did it. And then there was another time where a few of them were being questioned at a bar and were asked, and this is John, surprising, (laughs) were asked, if you could ask a question, what would it be? John said, Scott, do you miss the Dish Network? And they all just like exploded in laughter talking about the porn. Yeah, I get that. But I'm just like, I guess I'm not laughing. But why are you laughing? That's the point. It's funny to you that you had part in sentencing someone to death 
and you're using porn as something to bring that up and laugh at. A woman and her baby were murdered and there's a man on death row. Yes. I don't know. Serious. It was just all gross behavior. Yeah. I mean, we laugh at murderers all the time. That but we we're know. not there yet. We yes. don't know he did this. Right. And we would talk very differently if there was like very solid proof that he did exactly. it. Exactly. And we have not been kind about him and his sleaziness with. No. Yeah. He's I'm just, not pro Scott. I don't want to go hang out with the guy. No. But I don't know that he should have gotten the death penalty right now. I don't think he should have. Anyway, so he was convicted, sentenced, and now he is a death row inmate Yep. at this point in time. On March 17, 2005, he was transferred to his new home, San Quentin State Prison. It was also on this day that cops and attorneys got to hold a press conference since they were no longer under a gag order. And one of them on TV as well said, may he burn in hell. And I'm like, that's dude, that's not your job. Yeah, you're not God. Like, who are you? You're not the judge. And yeah. Yeah. That just proved what that group of cops was like. Yeah. They should be. I bet their friends, they go have drinks with Nancy. <laughs> but that wasn't it for Scott and his family. They weren't going to let him die for a crime that they didn't believe he committed. So they started to get to work on gathering everything they needed for an appeal. And they found some very interesting pieces of information. Yes, California isn't executing people right now, but it is just on a prolonged pause. We know this because we were talking about this in the Stainer Brothers, you know, somebody right. killer because he was sentenced to death. But at any point, it could start back up. So this was serious. So we're going to go over some of the things that were missed during the trial and other theories. Okay. Because what becomes obvious pretty quickly when looking into this case is the jury did not have the full picture. Right. I want to hear these other theories. I haven't heard any of them. Probably the most important thing that could have changed everything was all of the witnesses yeah, we who claimed about to have seen Lacey walking her dog that day. Remember, Garagos and the defense spoke about it but failed to bring it up, and this is one of their biggest regrets. Jurors say that it would have been a huge turn for them yeah. if those witnesses did take the stand. Because if the jurors were convinced that Lacey was seen walking her dog, then Scott's innocent, free and clear. Yeah. In all, there were 74 people who claimed to have seen Lacey after the time the prosecution claims she was murdered by Scott. That's a lot. 74? Yeah, but some of these witnesses were immediately ruled out because okay. they came from other states, a couple from overseas. Oh, so you got some crazy <laughs> Doppelgangers. Are, yeah, people were just trying to follow the case. Or they thought they saw her and they were like, wow, that looks just like her. They were like, I saw her in Paris that day. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> But the most important ones that could have turned the whole case around on its head were those that saw her in and around her neighborhood that morning. Yep. And when you place those on the points on a map and the approximate times, it creates this route that leads from her home and back. Okay. Lacey was known to take these long walks with Mackenzie. That's their dog's name. Mm -hmm. It was part of her routine. Even her mother attests to this. She said due to her pregnancy, it wasn't every single day anymore. But yes, she did take walks in the morning. There were people who came forward and claimed that she wouldn't have been walking, and this included her OBGYN and her yoga teacher and two of her neighbors, Amy and Tara, who lived across the street. The first two claimed she wasn't walking due to her stage of pregnancy, and the other two simply claimed that they just hadn't seen her walking for a few weeks. Okay. And I'm going to argue this one. One, they don't see her every day. Two, even her mother went to look for her at the park where she walks the dog when she went missing. Okay. So obviously that's somewhere they thinks, thought she would yeah. be. And three, just because her neighbors didn't see her means nothing to me. I purposefully avoid my neighbors. If I see you outside, I'm going to wait until I don't see you outside mm -hmm. before I leave my house. 
So maybe she just didn't want a conversation with those two. It sounds like they're kind of nosy neighbors. Nosy. And the whole pregnant women wouldn't be walking. A lot of pregnant women, myself included, you're walking more because you're ready to exactly. have that baby. At that point, you're miserable and you can't sit still. I was still. made to walk more, actually. Yeah. And someone did come forward. I can't remember who it was, came forward and said, yes, like she started walking again, though, because she felt like she was gaining too much weight in the end. No. Okay. So. Anyway, remember Karen, the neighbor who put the dog away? Yep. She said it was at 1018 a.m. Remember, that was the only time put into record, but we're going to put that aside for now. Okay. There is something other than these witnesses that challenges that and it holds more weight. Okay. So we're going to go over some of these witnesses. First, there was an older woman. Her name was Vivian Mitchell, who saw Lacey walking her dog outside of her kitchen window. She was doing the dishes. She was interviewed on camera after the trial later, but sadly, Vivian passed away oh. and she wasn't able to give her testimony if called upon. Yeah. There was one couple driving, Sue and Homer Maldonado. They remembered her specifically because she was very pregnant and he remembered being very concerned about her and her condition because she seemed to be struggling with the dog. Okay. And he was worried that she was going to fall over. Yeah. When he checked his mirror, he saw that Lacey did not cross Miller Street, but eventually turned the corner and continued walking west on the north side of Miller. I'm bringing this up because it just, if you wanted to go look at the map, it creates just an image of where she was. Yeah. This was sometime between 9.45 and 10 a.m. Okay. So this would have been probably... She kissed Scott or whatever. He and left she went and she went out. on a walk. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Frank and Martha Aguilar saw Lacey walking her dog on La Loma Avenue and said that she was wearing a white blouse and black pants. This is important. These okay. are now, what was she wearing? Okay. Tony Freitas was driving his regular delivery route northwest on La Loma Avenue and saw Lacey and Mackenzie near the intersection where there is a small grassy triangular park. Located on La Loma between Santa Barbara and North Santa Ana. Okay. Another woman, Martha, saw Lacey and Mackenzie walking on La Loma Avenue as well in the same general area that Frita saw her. And she was sure it was Lacey. Aguilar lived two blocks south of Lacey on Covina and they went to the same doctor. So for sure. Yeah. Then we have Jean Pedrioli, who saw them on the Loma Avenue in the same area where they had been seen by Aguilar. He noticed Mackenzie because he has a dog with the same colors. And he said that the woman with the dog had to walk around some branches that were on the sidewalk. Okay. Which tells me that's an accurate memory because yep. you just remember weird stuff like that. Yeah, they had to get off the sidewalk and walk around some branches. Then we have Diane Campos. She was a hospital worker. She was outside sitting at a picnic table smoking a cigarette before starting her shift around 1045 a.m. and saw Lacey walking her dog in the park. This was the back of the hospital and it sat on a little hill that overlooked the park. Okay. And then another witness, Mike Chiavetta at the park with his dog. He remembers seeing the dog on the north end of the park near Covina because he had his dog off the leash. And as another dog owner, your focus is on the other dog. Right. You don't want them to get into a tussle. So he didn't look directly at the owner's face, but he noticed that she was round with black leggings and a white smock. Okay. Now, there has been some arguments about what Lacey was wearing based on Scott's testimony and when she was walking her dog and when she was found washed up on the shore. Okay. Overall, it's a white shirt, like a pregnancy blouse. Right. And black pants. Okay. But before I get to the clothes, we're going to talk shoes. 
A big controversy online is that she wasn't wearing the shoes Scott said she was wearing that day because they were found in the house. Okay. So when she left, people keep trying to say, oh, so at some point this killer brings back her shoes before he kills her. La, 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 la. That doesn't make sense. Scott has to be guilty. I mean, are we really that stupid? He left. Do we remember this? Yeah. She could have changed her shoes at any point before going on that walk. Yeah, maybe one of them hurt one side of her foot or she just didn't want to go get wherever they were and the other ones were more convenient. It's just that's so stupid I that have, we're even talking about the shoes. I have three different pairs of shoes that I could wear at any moment on a walk. And I don't trust any person in my life to say what I was wearing. No, and I couldn't <laughs> tell you what Drew left the house in every you're day. You're across from me and I don't know what pants you're wearing and I saw you up two seconds ago. That's what I'm saying. Like <laughs> if some if Drew went missing, I would have no fucking clue what he was wearing that day. Yeah. Even though I see him every morning before he leaves for work. I don't think I could remember. Yep. It's a hard thing. So forget about the shoes. Like people bring up the shoes. It doesn't mean anything to me yet again. Right. Anyway, when she was found, she had on a pregnancy bra and khaki pants. She had khaki pants and what? Just a pregnancy bra. So no shirt, just the bra and khaki pants. Okay. So I'll be honest, I really can't speak to the khaki pants that much unless we're willing to consider the burglary theory that I'm going to bring up. Okay. Which we're going to come to, I think, very shortly here. At first, it was assumed that it was the same clothes that she was in the night before because she was wearing khaki pants when her sister saw her at the salon. But that pair of khaki pants was found at the house. Okay. But to me, let's think logically for a second. When you're pregnant, especially as pregnant as Lacey was, one thing you hate is to be uncomfortable. And Mm -hmm. I'm speaking from experience. I hated pants then. I kind of still do. And it is possible that after that walk, the black pants were bothering her and she changed her pants. Right. It's not unheard of. There's nothing to say that she didn't go inside the house first when she was done with her walk, change her pants, went back out with Mackenzie, Mm -hmm. heard something happening across the street. I'm going to talk about it. And or decided to check her mail, see what was going on. Again, we'll come back to this, but... There's nothing to say that she was snatched off of her walk. Right. And we don't know times of anything. Because if it wasn't Scott, we have no timeline. Right. Nobody knows. All we know is that he came back. And she wasn't there. At 4.45. And she wasn't there. And at some point, the dog was put back in the... Well, that's the one crux right now is the neighbor says that the dog was put back at 10.18 in the morning. So forgetting the clothes for a minute, because really, I don't think we can explain that. No. Because... That's what he says she was wearing. That's what other people said. It's not like he went and talked to all these random people. That's what they said they saw her wearing. So it's just not explained right now. But one thing that never happened with any of these witnesses, the Modesto Police Department never interviewed them. Okay. Some of them called in twice and even physically went to tell the police and they still were not contacted back by the MPD. That's just horrible police work. It's very suspicious, really. Because you would think that any sightings of Lacey would be top priority. You would She's think. missing. Right. Why are you not looking into everyone saying, hey, I saw Lacey? Yeah, exactly. That does not make any sense to me. And that scares me for something happening to someone that I love. Yes. Like, are they actually looking into these leads of people calling in no. saying they saw them? We know that on, scary. on many, many cases we look at. No. Even during the trial, Detective Grogan testified to that. Because on TV, they claimed that they, yeah, we're receiving all these leads, but we followed up on all of them and nothing is corroborated. Okay. And all of these people never received calls from the police. So they didn't do shit. They were lying from the get-go about things. But why? It's because they had a story that fit better from Karen, the neighbor who put away 
Mackenzie. Right. Who said 1018. And there's no Lacey in sight. Right. And it fits the narrative they want to spin. Correct. Well, when lawyers are going back through the physical reports preparing for the habeas petition, they found a piece of paper that had some pretty interesting information on it that failed to get scanned in. Okay. So thousands of pages have to be scanned through a feeder for these types of trials. And sometimes it grabs two pages. Okay. So when they were meticulously going back through thousands and thousands of pages for Scott's petition, they found 10 pages that were not added to the major index of the entirety of Scott's discovery. And one of the findings from one of these pages was a really big deal. So it wasn't anybody's fault. It just didn't end up in the stuff. I mean, someone obviously knew about it and didn't say anything about it or forgot about it. I don't know. There were handwritten notes from the mailman from that day. Oh, okay. He was the regular mailman and he knew the Peterson's dog. He knew the dog well because she would always bark loudly at him from the backyard behind the gate or from inside the house until he left. So she was just yap, 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 yap the whole time. Anyone who delivers to the same homes regularly are familiar with all of the animals in those areas. If you listen to earlier episodes of me, I used to do delivery stuff and... I came to know the animals. You also learn which animals to be scared of. Especially well. mailmen. I mean, there's yeah. a reason there's the whole trope about the dog and the mailman. Yeah. <laughs> they know it best. Well, that day when crossing into their yard to drop off the mail, he saw that the gate was open and there was no Mackenzie. Okay. And there was no barking. The mailman was Russell Graybill and he had to scan in his time into the computer during his route. Okay. And he was delivering mail on that section of Covina Street from 1035 to 1050 a.m., which is after Karen's 1018 time. So her time was flawed. No dog. Gate is open. Yep. Opens it up widely. Right. So this right here allows the other witness statements to come forward because we have this possibility now before... Everyone after this, they wouldn't accept, but the mailman's time has to be. You can. Yep. So why was the gate open, though? Okay. Because you did see the gate open. Well, Lacey regularly left the gate open. Oh, okay. And Karen did say that they regularly let the dog run free, like in the front yard and stuff, with the gate open while they're doing other stuff. And so it wasn't unheard of to see that gate open. Okay. Or for their dog to be alone. Usually not with the leash attached, but... Yeah, that's weird. It was something that they did. But Scott was already at his office at this time, and he was logged in. He was literally on the computer the time that the mailman was dropping stuff off. Okay. So this new timeline not only paints a picture of her walk, but it also leads to the next piece not considered during the trial, but a lot of people think has something to do with Lacey disappearing. Okay. So we're going to say, let's say it wasn't Scott. Yeah. And Lacey was out walking the dog that morning. Then who took her? Yep. What could have happened? Well, there was a burglary that morning that Lacey went missing. Oh, really? And the burglary was directly across the street from them. Interesting. Okay. She saw something. Maybe. I. It's very strange, you know, a coincidence. Mm-hmm. Many people who knew about this burglary have always thought that it had something to do with her disappearance. Yeah. It was dismissed at first right away. And it wasn't until after the trial that more information came out about this. Okay. When they started going through the discovery again, Carl Jensen, a private investigator, came upon something that was worth bringing up. It was an aha moment, really. Okay. He was looking at the tip lines and found a tip that came in from a Lieutenant Aponte about the burglary. And it raised a lot of questions because Lieutenant Aponte called the Modesto Police Department tip line on January 22nd to report a conversation between an inmate, Sean Tenbrick, and his brother Adam Tenbrick. 
who were talking about how Lacey had gone across the street to confront them while they were robbing her neighbor's house and that they threatened her. Oh. So this is on a jail recorded line between two brothers. Okay. That's interesting. So that also puts that Lacey was alive. Right. Because we know the burglary happened on this day. Yes. Okay. It gets argued, but we have immediate proof otherwise. So just a second. So Sean is sitting on death row and no one asked these men about the robbery in connection to Lacey. But this tip came in on the 22nd of January when she was still missing from a lieutenant at a jail. Okay, that's really messed up. We're going to go a little bit deeper here for a second. Okay. During the investigation and trial, Modesto was presented to America as a sweet, quiet, agricultural California town. Yeah. But those who live there and know the darker side of things say that it's an illusion. In this documentary that I was watching, there was a teacher talking about Modesto. He said, our city slogan is water, wealth, contentment, health, but that his students refer to Modesto as murder, meth, and auto theft. Quite different. (laughs) That doesn't have quite the ring (laughs) that a mayor would want. And another person (laughs) said that the slogan should be the only place where no one can hear you scream. Oh. Which is really (laughs) fucked up. Real creepy. creepy. So murder in Modesto wasn't new. Shootings, drug deals, gang problems, robberies, tons of that goes down. Lacey and Scott's house was a mile away from what was called the airport district of Modesto. It's a high crime area. Every airport district is a high crime area for the most part. Mm. Truthfully. Yeah. Yeah. There were six criminal events the night of December 23rd through the morning of December 24th in 2002. And this was all near their house. There were two successful burglaries, two attempted burglaries, and two attempted kidnappings. One of the successful burglaries was the home across the street. Mm-hmm. And this was the Medina home. Okay. On December 24th, the Medinas left their house at 1033 a.m. for their Christmas vacation. Makes sense. Burglaries like spike big time around the holidays. Yeah, I'm just picturing Home Alone. Yeah, they, right case, they case people's houses because they know everyone goes out of town. Right. At 11.40 a.m., Diane Jackson, another neighbor down the street, was driving onto Covina when she saw a van and three suspicious characters at the Medina home. Okay. They were bringing something out of the home and all stopped as she drove by and stared at her. (laughs) That doesn't look like you're doing something (laughs) wrong. You just stop and stare. (laughs) They're like holding a big TV. It just reminds (laughs) me of like a, I don't know, a movie. Yes. A silly movie. The police did at first confirm during a conference that they were aware of the burglary and they were looking into it. But then shortly after came out and said that the burglary was solved and two people were arrested and that it actually happened on the 26th, not the 24th. Okay. But this was impossible because on the 26th, Lacey's disappearance was now nationwide news and that street was crawling with media. Ah, there you go. So many people out all over the street. Nobody's stealing anything. (laughs) No, this is directly across from them. Yeah, no. Even the men who did the robbery detailed what they did, which included bringing out a safe out of the home and putting it on the front lawn so that they could put it into the van later. Okay. Immediately, people from the media even stood up and was like, "Uh, no, I was there that day. I think we all would have noticed if there was a burglary (laughs) going on. Sitting on the front. (laughs) And an extra van. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't until after the trial, and this is like 14 years or so later, when former Sergeant Ed Steele was being interviewed for a documentary and was questioned about this. 
about the date. Yeah. And he was asked if he remembered speaking with Diane Jackson. He said no, but that if he did, it would have been documented. And the person behind the camera questioning was like, well, yeah, it is. It is documented. And she brings the report to him and she goes, here, this is your signature. Taking the eyewitness statement of what happened that day on December 24th at 1140 a.m., not the 26th. Yep. But the 26th is what everyone spun on TV. Mm -hmm. Don't look at this burglary. We're still looking for Lacey. It's all about Scott. Yep. And to make this even worse, when the men were picked up and interviewed, the first thing one of them said was, I had nothing to do with the pregnant girl. What? Yep. Oh, my God. That's what he said. This was Stephen Todd. This is all from the interview transcripts. The detective then told Stephen, I'm not here to talk to you about the pregnant girl. I want to know about the burglary. And they were never asked any questions ever again. Why would he have volunteered that information? To me, that says they know that they had something to do with Lacey. Yes. And they're getting brought in. They don't know that it has anything to do with stealing shit because they probably steal shit every day. (laughs) Exactly. They're like, that's my life. That's how I make my money. But the pregnant girl that they knew is missing now at this point. So, yeah, that's bad. It's just too damning. And it proves the cops were just not willing to look at any other suspects and even diverted conversations away from Scott and Lacey. A burglary that goes on in a house across the street the day that Lacey goes missing after multiple people saw her walking her dog around the neighborhood. And the first thing they say is something about Lacey and nothing was done. Yeah, that's weird. Not one thing. And the timeline of this also proves what I kind of said, that she would have had time to go back in her house. Something distracted her or maybe she was out back, saw what was going on with the gate or went to get the mail came out that gate that's how the dog was outside or if you see something going on across the street she may have taken the dog with her she may have put right. the dog back that's on true. back put the dog back on the leash because you're not going to go confront if you see something that's going very on. true you're going to take your, think about that you're going to take your big dog yeah with you but yeah because that's one of the arguments too with this theory is that Lacey's not going to go approach men I'm like have you met a pregnant woman or any woman like some women do they're going to do whatever the fuck they want that's her neighbor yeah and you're doing something wrong and, and she could have just doesn't know who you maybe she didn't know who you are why are you in front of their house she knew that they were gone I just see you know if I saw something going on I have a big dog you put your dog on the leash or me I would take my dog without the leash but you go out and you might just yell across the street right like hey who are you what are you doing there mm-hmm. I'm gonna call the cops or something like that yeah and you're not really confronting them she's not like in their face but she could have been standing from her yard but there were people who knew her that said that Lacey would be the type of person to confront them like go over there yeah. and be like what the fuck dudes yeah okay so and this guy on the phone line is saying that's exactly what that's, she did and he's saying we didn't have anything to do with it to further push this possible connection between Lacey and the robbers, just two weeks before Scott's trial was over, the Modesto police received a letter from an inmate who claimed to have more information about the burglary. Okay. And he mentioned Sean Tenbrick. So Sean was the one that was the inmate who had the phone call that Lieutenant Aponte recorded. Okay. And so I, I don't want it to get confused. So Sean and Adam are brothers. Sean was in jail for something else. They're just lifelong criminal. (laughs) And then the two arrested for the burglary were Stephen Todd and Don Pierce. Sean Tenbrick is associated with them and like Adam's friends with them. Anyway, I'm not sure if he was the third person. It's just a den of thieves. (laughs) It's a den of thieves. (laughs) They're all connected anyway, and they all end up in jail some way or another in different ways. Not all of them, but, you know, they do their stints for other things (laughs) and then get out and do more. Yep. 
But it gets weirder. There are more connections because after the police had arrested Todd and Pierce and recovered some of the stolen property, which included the safe, they put word out that if anybody had the remaining possessions, they could drop it off at the department and that no questions would be asked. Okay. One day, a girl runs into the police station, throws jewelry on the counter and books it. (gasps) Anyway, I read this. I can't prove that that little whole thing happened. Okay. On December 31st, a woman by the name of Deanna Renfro pawned a gold Croton watch and Lacey happened to be wearing an identical watch the day that she disappeared. That's really suspicious. The reason people argue this was because the pawn ticket didn't describe the watch as having little diamonds and hers did. But this is just based on a pawn ticket. Right. Are Croton watches common? I've never even heard of that brand. I've never heard of them. We had to look up the brand. That's how non-bougie we are. That's also, though, like proves that it's probably hers. (laughs) Yes. That's what I'm saying. Is this something common? Like would the Medinas have also had one? I don't know. Yeah. Is that a popular brand in California? Hers or not. It's an odd coincidence, I guess. But it wasn't investigated by the police in the way it should have because there were ties between Renfro, Tenbricks, and Todd. Uh. The police did talk to Lieutenant Aponte after he had to call them twice. Yeah. Again, he provided them with a copy of the recorded call, but the police didn't do anything with it. Uh. Garagos found out about this tape when that inmate wrote in. So this is two weeks before the trial's over. Not much time. Okay. Right. Carl Jensen, the private investigator for Garagos, went to interview Aponte, and he said that Adam Tenbrick, who was talking to Sean on that call, was a close friend of Stephen Todd's, and that Stephen told him that Lacey had confronted him. Oh, shit. She saw what they were doing and walked across the street and confronted them, and they threatened her. So I'm talking about what they're talking about on the call now. I don't know if I made that clear. Sean, he was in jail and duh, they're recording these calls. Or... Yeah. So they're not smart criminals. <laughs> no. But once Adam said Lacey's name, he started to yell at Adam. Shut That's... up. Shut up. This could be monitored. We're not going to talk about that. Oh, my God. This is what's recorded. This is when Aponte was like, oh, shit. And that's when he called the tip into Modesto on the 22nd. Lacey had been missing only a couple of weeks. And the cops, once again, just did not what pursue this. What the fuck? They said her name. They said her name. These guys who should have no idea who she is at right. all. It's just crazy. And you're ignoring another, I don't know, officer of sorts. Yeah, if the lieutenant. coming to you. Yeah. But that's because he wasn't part of the gang. They chose Scott. Yeah. Didn't matter. They chose Scott. They don't want to hear anything else. They don't want to. Garagos brought this up at trial to the judge and the Modesto police claimed that they never talked to Aponte and that they had no such copy of any tape. Why? Because they went home really quick and started like they just, hiding it and burning it? It's believed, Garagos believed they intentionally destroyed this tape. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So that's infuriating. But it's stuff like this that really makes you think, why are they trying to cover it up so badly? Because they don't want to be wrong. It's an ego thing. These cops, like in so many cases, they just, they can't be shown that they did something wrong. That would have been the smoking gun though, right there. Right. I'd say. To divert it from Scott. I mean, mm-hmm. you have these criminals talking about Lacey. It would have given you, her. yeah, beyond a reasonable doubt, like it would have put that into question. Yep. And you know what else they destroyed? What? The Medina safe. I don't know why, but Garagos petitioned to have the safe turned over to him to be tested because it was yeah. part of this burglary. And magically, after he did that, it, it was destroyed. That's fucked. Yeah. And there's more. That same dog that supposedly tracked Lacey sent to the boat ramp, but really it was 
Scots, they determined that because then another yeah. dog didn't, but a dog did trace her scent to the heart of the airport district where all these guys are from on the night of the 26th. That's interesting. But was that ever said in no, court? No, of course not. And there's more. A man by the name of Tom Harshman called into the MPD to report that he had seen a van with two men and a very pregnant woman outside <sighs> of it. The men were holding on to the woman and he said that it appeared that she was urinating and before that, she was up against a fence and just looked scared. Damn. He called on December 24th. Okay. But it was later in the day, around 2 to 4 p.m. So this is, now we're getting into the afternoon. Yep. And this was on the corner of Scenic Drive and Classis Road in Modesto. This tip was grossly mishandled. And another point in which we see the police just steamroll over another lead. Okay. And completely dismiss it. The issue, again, this department did not give a shit about interviewing anyone that had any leads that didn't point to Scott. Right. That's all all of this is telling me. So he called on the 24th when he saw this. At this time, no one knew Lacey was missing. Mm -hmm. So he had no reason to call and say, hey, this yeah. is what I'm seeing. He didn't get a call back. But when Lacey did go missing, it was all over the news. He knew that it was her because he, he saw, saw her. her. Yeah. And he called back on the 28th. There are a couple discrepancies here because what he saw her wearing was different. What did he see her wearing? He said he saw her wearing a red shirt. I don't know about the pants. I didn't find that. But the shirt thing is interesting because it kind of lends to, well, if she changed her pants, maybe she just changed her clothes altogether. And then she went out to confront. I think, yeah, she went back in her house after walking and then saw something going on across the street and came back out. And we don't know. It doesn't matter about the color of the shirt because she was only found in a bra, like her body. Correct. So color of shirt doesn't matter that much, really, at the end of the day. But the timing of everything, it can't be ignored. She was pregnant and yep. you do not see that every day. No. You just don't. That alone, like you don't see pregnant people every single day. And like she looked scared and she was peeing on the side of the road. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's going to capture mm -hmm. your attention. Right. It's all very fishy. To me, if it wasn't Scott, this seems very this seems likely. Very likely, yeah, to have been what happened to her, or at least what led to whatever to happened, what happened to, her. to her. Yeah. So we're gonna stretch it out a little bit more. Okay. Outside of the burglary, there are other theories that have popped up. One was a little out there, but would be an extension of this van sighting stuff. Okay. There are some discrepancies between the colors of the van scene from mm -hmm. like white, dirty, beige to brown. That could be the same van. Yes. To me, it could kind of go either way. Depends yeah. on lights, especially if it's not what you're focused on. You're more focused on the people. Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah, if you said white and blue, that's different. But if it's white and beige, that or could just white be and red dirt. or yeah. black and white. Yes, that's different. But white and beige just means someone saw it white and someone saw it as dirty and thought it was beige. And even brown could be light brown. Yeah, too. that's hard. Yeah. But this involves a satanic cult. This part of the theory anyway. Like they abducted her? Yeah, so we're going to talk about it because it involves a van as well. I don't know if it's the same van. That's why I'm like, all we know is people saw vans and people reported vans. Okay. Three times. Okay. And satanical. I don't know. With what we know about the world today, can we really completely discredit it? I don't mm, think we probably can. Not. <laughs> we can't discredit anything. So <laughs> this cult theory was brought up during the trial. 
not to the jurors, but the judge, the defense was laughed at for even bringing it up, but they didn't come up with it themselves. There was evidence presented to them that some pretty dark shit was going on in Modesto Okay, around that time, and you never know. And satanic cults love babies. Oh, it was about this cult in the area, not a made-up one. So this wasn't allowed to go into trial. We'll come to that. But the prosecution is lying all over the place and presenting tons of circumstantial evidence. So why can't we at least consider another possibility? Yes. This isn't out of the realm of possibility. (laughs) It really isn't. So regardless of how outlandish it seemed at the time, there was an investigation into it because this cult was known. Okay. I don't know this group. And we've argued that being a Satanist doesn't mean you're a bad person, but it also doesn't mean that this group didn't do really, really bad things. Mm -hmm. So the deal here is a woman called into a rape crisis hotline to report that she was abducted and raped. And this was about two weeks before Lacey went missing. Okay. She said she was taken by a group of people in a brown van and that they told her that it was part of a satanic cult. Okay. Or a ritual, I mean. They also told her that they were going to commit, quote, a Christmas murder that she would read about in the papers. Okay. On Christmas Day, in the airport district, less than a mile from the Peterson home, a van was discovered matching the description from the woman, and it was recently burned. Mm, Okay. There was a mattress in the back of the van, and there was blood on it. Interestingly, a suspicious brown van was reported on Covina Avenue as well. So that's actually like four vans that we're seeing. Two saying brown, two saying this creamish white situation. And I don't know if they're all connected, but it's all within their neighborhood, two specifically on her street. Okay. Reported. The blood was tested and they said it was insufficient to determine whether DNA was from Lacey or her unborn son. Okay. The insufficient statement and immediate dismissal of this, despite all of the other leads leading up to a van being involved in Lacey's disappearance, is hard to look past. Yeah. And this van was found the next day, burned. Yeah, that's real curious. I mean, what's the likelihood of that? It is very weird. And I don't know, it's just shady, all of this. Yeah. And just with all of these sightings all within a day's time. Yeah. This isn't normal shit to happen. No. And people notice vans because vans are weird. Yeah. Especially old vans. Yeah. They're old vans. I notice them every time I'm on a walk. If there's a van fucking, I'm going the other way. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like, unless it's like a very clear, like painting van or something like, you know, well marked. But even that I'm walking away. Even that. We've learned from movies. They use that for a reason. Like I get HelloFresh delivered to my house right now and it comes in the creepiest white van. Like whoever does their delivery. Yeah. And I saw like while I was walking, I think it was kind of the same kind of guy. And he pulled over and he had like the back door open because he was probably just going to stop at the next house or whatever. And I like literally went all the way around. I was like, I'm not going near that open van door. Oh, yeah. No. So, yes, people notice fucking vans and we report it because... It's shady. It's shady. And if somebody went missing in my neighborhood, I would feel like as hell be calling. There was a van on my street with the door open yesterday. <laughs> I thought it was a package delivery service, but it probably wasn't. Yeah, for sure. So I don't know. A lot of weird things going on. A lot of weird connections. And yeah. the jurors never knew anything about any of this. Yeah, that would have given never them presented. more thoughts. They weren't presented any other like kind of alternate 
ideas of None. how she could have died. And no. that makes you hone in on the one person. Yep. You're like, well, there's no other, you know, evidence of anything else that could have happened. So it must have been him, even if it doesn't make well, sense. Well, even if they tried know? to bring something forward. The judge the, wasn't letting it. Exactly. Like the prosecution, it was nothing but conjecture. But heaven forbid the defense also bring up conjecture. And it's like, no. If one side can bring up things that could be completely conjecture, the other side needs to be able to as well. And present it. Not mm-hmm. just bring it up, but allow it to be submitted and yes. presented as a theory. But outside of that, there is one terrifying discovery that can't be ignored as well. We at least have to talk about it. Between 1999 and 2002, seven other pregnant women in the area went missing. What? This came from the defense side when looking into other missing cases. Three of the women were from Modesto and the other four were within 80 miles of Modesto. Oh. One of these women disappeared in May of 2002, six months before Lacey. Okay. Her name was Evelyn Hernandez and she was also eight months pregnant when she disappeared and she washed up on the shore of San Francisco Bay as well and Mm. in the same condition. It was her torso and part of her limbs, just like Lacey. Okay, that sounds real, real suspicious. Head, hands, and feet missing. With Evelyn, her baby was never found. It never came to shore, but she was not with baby. She disappeared with baby, but not with baby. So maybe they were trying to get the baby. They got it successfully from Evelyn, but something happened when they tried to get Connor out. I mean, it's a possibility, People who think Scott is guilty will say everyone who tries to approach this part of the theory is crazy and are just stretching for whatever. But they're very fucking similar. That sounds real to me. I'm like, why wasn't this brought up? Because if the bodies are in the same fucking shape, it's confirmation bias. Yet again, they see this and they're like, wow, yes, it looks exactly the same, but... That's but just you guys trying to make it seem like it's oh, it's not you know Scott. What? Maybe Scott knew about this and he, you know, <laughs> staged the body to look he that way. He was part of it. Yeah. Maybe he's the serial killer. I did come across a much bigger list, including a bunch of people that went missing. Okay. So I think someone was trying to make it seem like there's a serial killer mm-hmm. with pregnant women in the area. I'm not sure we can prove that. Okay. Doesn't mean that that doesn't happen. I think it's weird to say it's a stretch to think it's a serial killer. Um, No. Have there's, you seen what's going on in the world? Have you seen the statistics? Have there's you listened to podcasts? Like serial killers, serial killers everywhere. are everywhere. Not all of them get caught, especially in a place like San Francisco. Right. It's huge. And people die every day, probably multiple times a day. <laughs> So this list I came across, though, it included some women that were pregnant eight months, interestingly enough. Okay. Those that weren't, one that was from Washington, and others were just from completely different circumstances altogether. And I think we can ignore some of that. It's just trying to tie it to the serial killer possibility. The Evelyn one, I think, is But that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. But from that list, I would say that maybe four of them you could possibly consider. Okay. Evelyn being the one that's too similar. Yeah. The one big difference between her and Lacey, though, is Evelyn did not go missing alone. She had a five-year-old son who also went missing with her, and he's never been found. Oh. And his name was Alex. That's sad. Why didn't she get wide press like Lacey did? Was she from a poor family or something? She got press, but it wasn't at this extent, obviously, or we'd be talking about it. Yes, she was minority. And people also lose their minds when talking about the two and comparing that exact thing that you just brought up. Oh, you can't do that. Lacey wasn't even white. Well, guess what? Lacey looked white. 
and Lacey and Scott were attractive people. And that's Mm -hmm. what happened is it became a media storm for them. But it wasn't that way for Evelyn. Yeah. But if there is a serial killer, it only takes three to be a serial serial killer. Mm -hmm. So... And as we know, serial killers do not do the same thing every single time either. So, And he could have skipped town and he's doing it somewhere else, you exactly. know, a few years later. So they never connect it. We just have to look at Kerry Stainer. Look at him. He was all over the place with his. Mm-hmm. He was just doing whatever he wanted to. Right. Really. And I don't put it past there being a sadistic person out there who want just pregnant women or a group of people who want just pregnant women. No, there are people who are real obsessed with pregnant women. And I'm just going to throw it out there. Lacey and Evelyn both disappeared on satanic holy days. Oh, well, that's interesting. Yeah. Just saying, if you want to tie it back to the satanic cult. And she was missing all of her organs. Missing all of her organs. I don't know much about satanic cults and what they do, but... I mean, how would they kill her? Cut off her head? Yeah. And drain then her blood drain her and then something. take take cut the, her throat yeah but then her head was you know her head was gone so and then take the baby out and do other rituals with that and the placenta and there's just so many rituals of like ancient times which a lot of the cults follow now that would fit in with the fertility of a pregnant woman and going back to connor with the objects found on him and the state of his body you know the theory that someone handled him outside of Lacey's body would match up with that yes and with evelyn's baby missing from her body in the same condition it just makes you wonder If there is someone out there abducting and killing pregnant women, are they removing the baby and why? You know, my first thought, I may have already said it earlier. We've been here a while. (laughs) I know we have. I'm tired. (laughs) You know, people will take babies and then traffic them too. That's true. If if they're that far along, a baby can live. But maybe they did something and he didn't survive. That's where my mind went originally when you said that is like somebody wanted that baby to sell it on the black market or whatever. And Mm -hmm. they tried to take the baby out of her while she was still alive early or whatever the baby would have been early and they did it wrong and they killed the baby it's possible but evelyn they were successful they got the baby out and sold it i can do this all day long why didn't they do this in the defense (laughs) oh they kind of it's that's right it's too muddy yeah they needed ken to be the one arrested and charged not groups of people And in stuff like this, sometimes if you're going to talk about the black market and other things like that, police and other people like that get involved in that kind of shit. So who knows what's being covered up there? It's a very large, scary organization. Well, Evelyn's case was never solved, although some believe that it was the work of her boyfriend, because we are going to look at that person, too. Of course. But unlike Scott, police do not consider him to be a primary suspect, and he is not under investigation. Interesting. But that's still unsolved, and we have not found her son or the baby. Wow, that's sad. Yes. But we're going to continue and talk about some other possibilities because this case is just crazy, and the information never ends, and I haven't slept in a very long time, so... (laughs) Remember, there was more than this burglary going on that morning. One of the attempted kidnappings is interesting to look at. Scary, but interesting for sure. This happened five blocks from the Peterson home. Okay. A woman, Lorda Sevilla, had a small clothing shop at the time. She happened to be eight months pregnant. And oddly enough, she had the same due date for her baby that Lacey did. Okay. She was setting up a display outside of her shop when she noticed two men in an old car watching her. Mm -hmm. She said that they were there for about 30 minutes just watching her from the other side of the street. They were parked. This was around 11 a.m. on Christmas Eve. Interesting. She said they made her really scared just with the way that they were looking at her. 
that they looked like criminals, and she said they had the face of killers. Okay. They quickly turn around in the street and park right in front of her shop. So she runs inside, and she runs to the back and calls 911. One of them got out of the car and came in after her. But once they realized she was on the phone with 911, they left. Wow. So she just knew that something was going to happen to her. She could just feel it. Yeah. Yeah. Intuition. So she was safe, and she ended up giving birth to her daughter on that day when Connor was also supposed Supposed to be born. She remembers Lacey going missing and ultimately what happened to her. And she was traumatized for a very long time. Yeah. And she still is because she wonders if they were specifically after a pregnant woman. And right after that, found Lacey and grabbed her and Mm -hmm. drove off with her. That could have happened to her. Yeah. It's really an incredible story when you think about the timing. Because the last person to see Lacey walking that day was at 10.45 a.m. Yes. At the north end of the park. If we look past the burglary possibility or include another van in the timing of this or whatever, maybe after getting home, Lacey came out to get the mail. They saw her. Who knows? We talked about that. It's not a perfect fit because we don't know the timing past this. We're coming up with timing, really. But maybe these guys were part of a group searching for women. And they're just driving around. It kind of ties back to that satanic cult thing. Like if these guys wanted just a random pregnant woman. Here's the thing. She could have gone walking. She came home. She went inside. She came out to get the mail. Noticed there's a burglary going on across the street. Yelled at those guys. And then they got the fuck out. Yeah. Nothing happened. But while she was walking, while she was out there, those other people. It could have all happened. I know. All of this could have happened. At this point, you have to kind of stretch your brain to think about possibilities. But it's not coming out of nowhere because these are all things that happened that morning. This is crazy. (laughs) That's what's crazy. We're not being like, yeah, and this dude flew in from New York and he's the one that got her. This is stuff that was reported and that we knew happened in this area. That's bizarre. So those are the other theories. I think some of them hold weight and should have been brought up. Yep. And honestly, in my mind, if I really think about the world and the way things work and, and the likelihood of it all, it makes more sense to me that one of the alternate theories happened versus Scott killing and dumping his wife on his own. Yes, I think so, too. With no evidence connecting him in any no way. No evidence whatsoever. And he just chose a really bad day to leave his pregnant wife at home alone. He really did. What was his butterfly effect moment? Deciding to leave (laughs) the house that morning. Yeah, deciding to do the boat instead of golfing. Maybe his butterfly effect moment was meeting Amber in the first place. True. Because maybe he wouldn't have been seen in that way, truly. True. Without the whole Amber situation. If he was just a normal guy and there was no affair going on, his character couldn't have been It would not have been in question, although his damn face. He has a punchable face. He does. (laughs) Like, you don't want to like the guy. I know. He has a very smug look to him. He does. And that's the truth. Mm -hmm. But he can't help that. Some of us are born that way. (laughs) Yeah, like me. (laughs) Some of us have resting bitch face. Some of us come across. Yeah. Yeah. I look at you all the time. I'm like, I just want to punch you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you don't. (laughs) Well, so what happened to Scott, though? So he went to San Quentin and he's on death row. Yeah. And then all of this other stuff starts to emerge. So we're going to go into the appeals. So in a capital case, there's an automatic appeal where you get to challenge errors made by the trial judge. Okay. And then you have the habeas corpus petition where there is a reinvestigation and where new evidence can be submitted. 
Okay. A way to present other avenues. Mm-hmm. Not pursued. Who wrote the fucking justice system? <laughs> <sighs> so stupid. <laughs> Scott's automatic appeal of his death sentence was filed in the Supreme Court of California on July 5th, 2012. The next day, Scott's attorney, Cliff Gardner, filed a 423-page brief contesting the sentence, arguing that the publicity surrounding the trial, incorrect evidentiary rulings, and other mistakes deprived Scott of a fair trial. Okay, I believe that. But that was eight years after he was sentenced before this happened? Yeah. Okay. One of the issues was that most people for the defense and even just outsiders of the case believed Scott had an extraordinarily defective jury. Mm-hmm. It was argued that the motion to move the trial to another county should have been granted due to juror questioning, as results showed that almost half of the prospective jurors had already concluded Scott was guilty Yeah, prior to the trial. We've already gone over a lot of the issues when it comes to the jury, but another issue brought up in the appeal and what some argue resulted in choosing the wrong jury to begin with was some of the questions that were asked of prospective jurors. We saw this with the jury for Sean Sellers. The prosecution was going for the death penalty. Yes. And in a capital case, you will not be chosen if you're 100% against the death penalty. Right. They did that in Andrea Yates, too. Mm Mm-hmm. The judge automatically excused people opposed to the death penalty. Mm-hmm. But if they say that, you are supposed to ask a series of questions after that. Okay. Including, even if you do not agree with the law that there is a death penalty, could you apply the law of the facts to this case? If a juror says yes, then you don't get to excuse them. So they might not agree. But they, yeah. If that's what ended up happening, they would still do it. Right. Personal opinions are not supposed to be the basis for denial. But that didn't happen for Scott's jury selection. So already the jury members chosen are questionable. Mm -hmm. It leaves you with a jury that is way more likely to convict someone to death. As Cliff Gardner said, Scott's appellate attorney, when you pick a jury that way, then you're organizing a tribunal to return a verdict of death. And that has been unconstitutional in this country for close to 60 years now. Now 70. 60 Mm -hmm. when he said this. Yeah. The people he ended up letting through statistically were more likely to think that police and prosecutors do not make mistakes. And if that person is charged with something, then they must be guilty. Right. They also brought up how some jurors were improperly excused. Yes. And outside of jury issues, they also argued against the evidence presented by the state and that most of it should have never been admitted because it was fundamentally unreliable. One of them being the dog scent situation, even though that was pretty much dismissed during questioning. As I brought up, it made an impact on some of the jurors. Yes, it really did. Another issue was the testimony from the hydrologist about the movement of bodies in water due to tidal action when they're trying to explain how she ripped apart and came up. In the end, and proved by the defense upon cross-examination, it was just a prediction, and he admitted that he had no expertise in the movement of bodies in water. Oh, that's awesome. And he had not done any studies, and it was never part of his education or practice, but his statements were allowed to stay as fact. So he's just making shit up up there. And the jurors came back to it. Fuck. That's scary. I know. They also argued some of the evidence from the defense that was excluded by the judge, and this included their testing of the exact same boat on the water. Mm -hmm. They proved it couldn't be done, but the judge would not allow them to produce the tape as evidence. Instead, that judge let the jury test Scott's boat on land, 
We talked about this. It's ridiculous. Not only that, it was members from the prosecution that went with the jurors that day. And that alone is like, yeah, ridiculous. So they're going to hang out with the prosecution. You can't do that. That's so weird. It just doesn't make any sense. But if they had seen the footage from the defense or they themselves tested it on water, which they're not going to let the jurors do, it's dangerous. Right. The guy who did it almost drowned like three times. But if this would have been properly shown, then the entire case could have been thrown out Yep, right then and there mm-hmm. because you would not be able to prove that he dumped her body. He was able to. At all. And that's their only theory. They also pointed out the lack of evidence in the autopsy for Lacey because there's no cause or time of death. Right. And that's a big one because all of this is based on their theory that she died was supposed to be the 23rd. Now in the morning after she was on the computer on December 24th. Mm -hmm. So after this, then the habeas corpus petition was filed in November of 2015. This included that one of the jurors lied on their jury application This was Rochelle Neese. Oh. Strawberry shortcake. Yeah. The one who called Scott an asshole. Right. (laughs) When asked if she had ever been involved in a lawsuit, she said no. She had been. When Rochelle was four and a half months pregnant, she filed a temporary injunction. She was scared for her and her unborn child's life. She got a restraining order on her ex's girlfriend who was harassing her and then something about him being physical with her. Okay. She claims to have forgotten about it when filling out the questionnaire. I don't know. Maybe she, she did. But they would have thrown her out if yeah. she had filled that out properly. So that's oh, yeah. a very valid exactly. argument. It's about her having safety issues when she's pregnant. Yeah. And so there's a pregnant woman. She would have dead. been thrown yeah. out. There's no way. So, Conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. I think it's 100% that her own emotions fueled her opinions in this case. Absolutely. I saw her in a documentary and she'd improve anything other than that for me. Yeah. No matter what she said. <laughs> That's what happened. And I'm not putting her down for having whatever happened in her life, but you don't get to Use take that. your own stuff no. and your own anger towards men and then go put a man to death just no. because you're like that. And that's how she came off to me. No, you but can't do that. This is what it is. The petition also included the evidence of the neighbors and strangers that saw Lacey that morning after Scott left for the day. Yep. It also brought up the defense's failure to bring these witnesses to the stand to combat the dog scent evidence more since it was used as evidence and to bring experts in on fetal growth and how bodies move in water and failing to address the burglary during the trial and other evidence surrounding that. Yeah. All of these issues raised really did make it clear that Scott did not have a fair jury trial. Okay. So there were a lot of holes. Does that mean he gets another trial? Well, not another trial. They have to now come to a decision after this. Okay. But what it made clear was the jurors did not have all of the information. Yeah, it wasn't a fair trial for sure. In June of 2020, the California Supreme Court heard the arguments for these appeals And on August 24th, 2020, in a 7-0 decision, the Supreme Court of California upheld Scott's conviction, but they overturned his death sentence. Oh, okay. So now he is... Life in prison? Yep, life in prison. On September 22nd, 2021, California Supreme Court Judge Anne Christine Masulo ruled that Scott would be resentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Oh, wow. So it was overturned. And then because of the other thing, it was resentenced to that. And so he was moved off of San Quentin's death row in October of 2022 and transferred to Mule Creek State Prison in Ione, California. Okay. On December 20th, 2022, Scott's habeas petition was denied. So they would not review 
any of the new information. Wow. After all that work, this is 18 years later. Damn. And they will not review all of the stuff we just talked about. They won't look at it. Why? So the only thing that I could really find of why they overturned his death sentence was because they did prove that that girl lied and yeah. they couldn't accept it. So because of the jury issues, they overturned it. But no actual rehashing of the trial and new evidence being presented or any of that. I mean, no ability for parole. That's pretty. Yeah. That's. Mm-hmm. That's the next step from death penalty. So he doesn't even have a chance to. Not currently. Yeah. I Yeah. I mean, there's still stuff going on. And he's always maintained his innocence, right? He has always maintained his innocence. And there hasn't been one slip. Like, in his stories. Not a slip in his stories. I mean, in the very beginning, you know, with the whole golfing, fishing. Yeah, that's weird. But mm-hmm. after that, no. There have been a couple people who are suspicious of him that I thought were interesting, including one of them was the missing sister of his that came forward, the half sister. And then she came back into their lives and she thinks he did it. Okay, but she also didn't know them very long. So I don't know the story there, but she's very passionate and adamant about it. Her name's Ann Bird. Does Lacey's parents still believe Scott did it? Uh, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Two of them are no longer here. We'll talk about that. Okay. But Scott's other siblings, Mm -hmm. even in-laws, are very, very passionate about getting Scott out. Without a shadow of a doubt, they do not think that he did this. Okay. Well, as of January of this year, the Los Angeles Innocence Project has decided to take on the Scott Peterson case. Yeah. And usually they only do it when there is evidence that will prove that the client is innocent. Right. They argue that Scott's state and federal rights were violated in the original case, alleging deficiencies in police reports, tip sheets, and other evidentiary material at trial. Yeah. So it makes you wonder if all the stuff we've discussed in this episode and some of the other theories for Lacey's disappearance really does hold weight right why else would they choose to do this there has to be something they know i know that they know one thing or they're looking into one thing i don't know what else because this just came out yeah i know everything they're touching i saw it (laughs) pop up a couple weeks ago i guess it was now so the one thing they're looking into and it shocked me because out of everything we've talked about it was kind of the least looked at least covered okay they're looking into evidence from that burnt van Mm, okay and that's the one that was tied back to the satanic cult Yes. This isn't all they're looking into, but it was leaked that this is part of it. Not the satanic cult part, but the van itself and well, the this van mattress. Had, and it had DNA right. in it that they could use as solid evidence. Right. Even a former California fire investigator has come forward about it. He was the one who combed over the van after Lacey disappeared. Mm-hmm. The van was found less than a mile from the Peterson home in the airport district, like we said. No one came to this investigator for his evaluation of the van. Okay. The Los Angeles Innocence Project is requesting enhanced DNA testing in this matter. Okay. That's interesting. I'm curious to see. Yeah, because the way that they did the testing before, it didn't say it wasn't them. It just didn't say it was them. It was just, and it's been 20 years. DNA Mm -hmm. has come a long way since then. Right. And who knows what other pieces, you know, they're actually looking into. It has to be more than that. Yes. The update is all very new. Who knows what will happen in the coming years. It's exciting to wait and keep an eye on it. You know, if he's guilty, I hope they find definitive proof somehow, some way that he is. And let's move on. And then he's where he should be. Right. Exactly. But if there's a small shred of doubt and he's not, and he was just a grieving husband who happened to be Mm -hmm. a sleazeball (laughs) 
serial cheater too. He's still grieving, I'm sure. Well, yeah, it's almost. And he also spent all these years in jail. Yeah, he's if been he didn't, in there a long time. If he didn't do it, that would be really shitty. It would be shitty. Or it's karma for him fucking or around. But that's some really, really harsh karma. It really is. I don't think cheating deserves jail time. And San Quentin, I think, is known as a pretty hard. Yeah. Well, jail. he was on death row. Yeah. Not just prison. He was waiting to be killed. Yes. And what if he died? Right. And then they found out if he was executed, nobody would have no ever, would kept ever looking. looked into it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because how do you give that back? Yeah. Nevertheless, Lacey and Connor will always remain the core of this. Yeah. They died. Yeah. Lacey was beautiful. She deserved to have Connor and watch him grow up. Connor deserved to grow up. Yes. They were buried at Burwood Cemetery on August 30th, 2003. Their deaths led to the passage of the Unborn Victims of Violence Act, also known as Lacey and Connor's Law. Okay. George W. Bush signed the bill into law April 4th, 2004. Sharon Rocha and Ron Gransky were there at the White House when this happened. The act provides that under federal law, any person who causes death or injury to an unborn child while in the commission of a crime upon a pregnant woman will be charged with a separate offense. Okay, that's good. In 2006, Sharon wrote for Lacey, A Mother's Story of Love, Loss, and Justice, a biography and memoir about Lacey's life and death. All proceeds are used to fund the Lacey and Connor Search and Rescue Fund, which she had founded. Okay. On January 29th, 2006, it was listed at number one on the New York Times nonfiction bestseller list. Good things happening for that. I mean, we do need to fund good projects. Yes. That's what you hope from every kind of tragedy that it leads to something that helps others. Changes. In the future. Yeah. Jackie Peterson, Scott's mother, passed away October 18th, 2013, after her battle with cancer. What I never mentioned the entire time throughout this, but if you knew this case and you've seen the photos and you watched videos, is Jackie was unwell even before the trial. She was always carrying oxygen. She was on oxygen. She was a tiny little lady. And people always attacked her trying to say that she was trying to earn sympathy. No, she's sick. No, she she has to fucking cancer. Breathe. They're just attacking That's, them for everything. People That's why can, I hate all of this. Yeah. It's just cruel. People can be so harsh. But she did pass away. That's sad. And even if her son was guilty, it's still her son and she's still a mother and she's still grieving. Yeah. Leave the lady alone. Exactly. It's not that hard <laughs> to understand. Her, she didn't kill Lacey. She didn't want her son to kill Lacey if he did. Like, she's just a person. Yeah. Lacey's stepfather, Ron Gransky, died in his sleep in Modesto on April 8th, 2018 at age 71. This was after a period of failing health and he was buried next to Lacey and Connor. And Lacey's father, Dennis Rocha, also died in his sleep December 9th, 2018. So the same year, the age of 72. Wow. Okay, so I will tell you one thing. I am sick to death about talking about Scott. Yeah. But let's finish it up. Yeah. Lacey and Connor died, and we may never know what actually happened. I pray that their deaths were quick. I fear that they weren't. They do deserve justice. I want her family to have peace. They don't deserve to go through another trial for Scott if he is actually guilty. Like, they already did that. But if he's not, we can't leave innocent people in jail. No. We just can't. Scott's family gets so much crap for fighting for him all these years, and it's really not cool. Both families lost their children. Yeah, it, and it they, broke the whole families. And both it was sides. for the whole media and the whole world to play around with and talk and make about. money off of, like fucking Nancy yeah. Grace does. Exactly. Even fucking Amber. 
she wrote a book a couple years later or whatever. And I'm yeah. like, you, you made money this off guy of this four times, too. and now you're yeah. I don't know. She went through a lot of media hate herself, so maybe yeah. she deserved to get True. some money from that book. But you know, stuff came from that too. Yeah, but you get thrown book offers anytime there's any kind I, of someone crime, throw so. me a book offer. Hell, I'll write a book. Give well, me one. You have to like be involved in some kind of crime first. So go you? have some affairs just, and maybe one of them will kill their wife. <laughs> Why can't just being cool be a reason? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, all you have to do is think of yourself in this case, I think. We are all enemy number one in someone's eyes, the devil in someone's eyes. Yep. If your partner went missing and ended up dead or one of your family members, partners went missing and ended up dead and you knew in your soul that they are innocent or that you are innocent or that you or they were convicted based on just not being likable. Yeah. Or your cheating habits or your ability to show that you're a decent, normal human being, whatever that smiles. Would you not fight it? Yeah. Like you're going to fight it. It's not every day that every single part of a person is on trial. And that's right. what happened here. Naturally, we all are very secretive. Yes. So if all of our drawers were tipped out and other things, you know, came to light and then it was plastered in pages, like I said, we're all suspicious. Yeah, we all. And you can spend the tale however you want. Right. Exactly. If you have the time to and you can get into everybody's skeletons in their closet. Like if they went into my closet right now, they're going to find like an old chicken leg that I found <laughs> one day when I was young. Right. That's weird. You know, you're going to find weird stuff. I have a couple bones in my closet of stuff that I found because I went to school for forensic anthropology. It was interesting to me when I found them. So I have them and I kept them. And now if you. She killed, has bones in her closet. Yeah. You know, if someone just, was found dead in your house, then those could be brought into like, oh, my God, she's like obsessed with, with bones. I mean, yeah, they Maybe were like. Maybe she's a satanist. It was a coyote, but. <laughs> I know, but. Yeah. It's just stuff like that mm -hmm. that looks suspicious. You have an altar. I do have an altar. You are satanic. I have tons of weird stuff in my book collections. And, yep. you know, there's all kinds of stuff here. There's that all would kinds be like, of things. She's into this. You and I, we're already fucked because we have a podcast where we talk about this stuff all day. Yes. We can never kill anybody. I know. Accidentally <laughs> or on purpose. <laughs> Accidentally or on purpose. Or even really piss anybody off, it sounds like, because they might just think you did it anyway. Mm, yeah. Are we likable enough? I don't know. I don't know. But in this case, we got to know all the icky, horrible things about one person. Yeah. And 20 years later, he's still on trial for it. This isn't mental gymnastics for us to prove Scott's innocence. No. This is looking at crappy systems and evidence and saying, whoa, you're just not doing it for me. I want to question it because if I'm ever on trial or someone I love or know ends up in the same situation as Scott, I want to know that the system's not going to fail them. Exactly. Like, especially the tip thing. You're not yeah. calling and actually doing anything with these what tips. The what the what fuck are, are you doing? doing? Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just say again, unless you were in that home, on that boat, on that street, in that relationship or with her when this happened, we can't know everything. And sadly, with the way that this all played out, I just don't trust really much of anything that's been no, said. Too bad. Especially by people who fabricate things who are yeah. just so stuck one way. It's too bad Mackenzie can't talk. Yeah. Like that guy said. Mm -hmm. She knows. She knows who took her mama. But because I don't believe everything, I did intentionally leave a bunch of stuff out. Right. Because I can't prove it one way or another. And, and it could yeah. be just hearsay. So you only put in things that actually had facts behind it. We can't but put I, in all the conjectures. Exactly. I can't put in what one person says. 
Yes. One person is not enough. Now, if a bunch of people are saying it, then I'll bring it up and we can discuss it and talk about those things. But if it's just one thing, then yes. I'm sorry. No, because all you're doing is adding more confusion. Misinformation. You're, you're putting more into the pile when it already is a, a bunch huge of shit that doesn't make sense. Pile of shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's always what I say. It's already a steaming pile. Right. We're good. <laughs> So I guess in the words of Lee Peterson, find a little room in your heart for innocence, will you please? <laughs> I just think of old movies. Yeah. Will you please? Because even though he was convicted, no one can prove shit. And that should matter. For those of you out there that are yelling off the rooftops that he killed her without reasonable doubt. No, there is a substantial amount of doubt. It was not beyond a reasonable doubt. No. There's no fucking way from what you just told me. They failed. Yes. There was not enough there to convict him of what he's been convicted of. Whether you love him, hate him, don't think anything about him. That's just the truth. At the end of the day, there wasn't enough there. And that's why people are still talking about this case today. Yep. And that's why an organization has decided to pick him up and try his case. Yeah. Again, he could very well be guilty. Guilty as all get out. But this is a death penalty case. And we're just going to keep coming back to that. There shouldn't be any questions whatsoever. We need to stop letting our moral condemnations make leaps like the ones that was done in this case. It was a witch trial. That's what this was. And if you're okay pointing to Scott and sentencing him to death without evidence and continuously sentencing him, despite all that has come out over the years, then you were a proponent for the witch trials. That's how I see it. It's plain and simple. You can't sentence someone to death without evidence. That's how I see it. And it should not be that way. We stopped this for a reason and it still happens. We set up our justice system to prevent things like this, supposedly, but still happens. So that's just the point. Yeah. He's not on death row anymore. That's not the point. Originally, he was put there, though. Yes. That's what happened. And now we just need to figure out if there's any way to prove anything else. Yeah. We'll see what comes out of it. Either way, I don't know why everybody in the Scott did it world is still so mad. He's in jail. Like, you won right now. You win. <laughs> so chill. At least don't get not- in all the Reddit threads and don't come at us. Don't come at Jessica. Don't come at me. <laughs> I haven't slept for weeks and I read all your stuff. Yeah. Okay. I really did. Just because I'm not saying what you're saying doesn't mean shit. We can all have different opinions. Yes, we can. And it's okay. And it's but okay. But you don't call people out and say that they're wrong or that they're stupid or didn't do their research or blah, 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 just because it's opposite of what you want to believe. The number one thing that people say is something like, I just don't understand these pro Scott people. Like it's right in their faces. We like, don't love so him. stupid. Da, 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 da. That was something that happened back then. People thought if you were, you know, pro innocence that, that you loved that him. you loved him. That's the thing is you can advocate for people that are horrible in many ways, but that you don't believe committed murder. Yeah. Like that doesn't mean that you're advocating for them to be the fucking president of the United States. Although some people are doing that right now. <laughs> <laughs> Just because you advocate for somebody saying they didn't murder their wife does not mean that you are advocating their lifestyle or the choices that they've made that may have been horrible. Doesn't mean that you condone anything that they've done. It just means that you don't think they murdered their wife. Yep. And you should say that. And mm-hmm. that doesn't make you a bad person. No. It doesn't make you pro-Scott either. It doesn't make me pro-Scott. I will say right now, I don't believe that there is enough evidence that he killed his wife right now. But I don't like the guy. I don't like him either. He's got a punchable face. He has don't a like any of face. those kind of guys. Yep. You just didn't show me how he did it. Yep. Sorry. That's all. That's my take on this. And we'll see what happens. And yeah. Well, thanks for all of your hard work on this. I know it was many, many, many nights and days and I think you gave it a really thorough review and I hope others agree 
we won't be doing any other huge cases like this for a while. Yeah, please. because we've both done <laughs> one now. I was telling Jessica, I'm like, I almost died on John Bonet. She almost, almost died, died on, on Lacey. So we need yeah. a break. Yeah, but we know that judging by the comments and the ratings, that you guys like to hear this because all of us want to talk about the big cases. We'll keep working on those where we can. But some of the smaller cases have just as much. I know. And some of them need more attention. Yes. So I do like these ones. You might not know other stories, but Mm -hmm. isn't that the point? Right. We're bringing them to light. So if you don't know a story, listen to it. That's what I love to do is find these ones I've never heard of before. I get more excited to research those. But these are fun, too, because we get to present information that maybe hasn't been out there before and hopefully change minds if they need to be changed. If there is a goal to change your mind. It's just that it's it wasn't proce- enough. It's our process that I yeah. want to challenge. In yes. this case, I am pissed at the police for hiding evidence, changing things, yes. destroying evidence. Yep. And then I'm upset with the fact that the prosecution got away with what they did and the defense was not allowed to bring certain aspects in. And then the jury process was fucked. It was so so messed up. So there was a lot of things that went wrong here that shouldn't happen because even if Scott's guilty, take him out of it. The next person that goes through this exact situation could be innocent and they're going to Mm -hmm. hopefully get a better trial because of what happened here. Right. Hopefully. Okay. So we should close this down now so that we have enough time to post this on YouTube (laughs) because we only have a three hour limit. So thank you all for listening. We will be back next week, actually, to talk about a witch trial. Ah. So Jessica set me up for that. (laughs) So I'll be back next week with that story. And in the meantime, you can find us on all of the social websites. We're on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and TikTok. And we have a Lab Reports episode coming up soon. Yep. Please send in those stories to lucidlabpodcast at gmail.com. And I think that's it. I think that's it. We've been talking enough. So we have. In the meantime, stay lucid. R.I.P. Lacey and Connor. Yeah. And Ron and Dennis and Jackie. And Evelyn. And Evelyn. Yeah. Okay. Lots See you guys people. later. Goodbye. Bye bye. <laughs>